And I had an acting teacher, Anna Panero, who I got to give a shout out to, bro. She was the greatest and my first mentor uh, in acting. And she allowed me to fucking explore like that. Uh, we had, she had a studio in her apartment and we would do all these scenes and shit and, and young Robbie would fucking take a, there was a trash can in the scene and we brought in a prop as a trash can and I would grab the trash can and fucking throw it against the wall. And we were having these performances with like 20 people in the room. And I was just experimenting, bro. I was finding my voice, how to, how to channel some of this, uh, you know, fucking anger and other shit that I had at the time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a brand new episode of Bang Bong Podcast. This is either episode 95, 96, or 97. Who knows? Is it really? Are we subtracting episodes? No, no. I would we, subtract some. We just keep inching toward 100. We might, <laughs> Mario. Subtract, we might subtract that live episode. Subtract. We should. No, yes. it's, it's got to go. It's we got, should. I mean, it's got to go up. It subtract to, Mario, too. Mar- oh, yeah, Mario. We should. Well, you know, I don't want to mess with Mario. He might write <laughs> rhymes about me. Um, but no, uh, we, we've got some in the, uh, that are unedited, as of yet unedited. Uh, but on this one, whatever number it may be, as we inch closer to episode number 100, Eighth grade basketball MVP Michael Beltran and I are joined. <laughs> the most famous person I've ever spoken to on the show. Uh, I mean, me that, that might I be. mean, you're currently on cable <laughs> TV. There. People got to pay nah, to watch your nah, shit right that's now. True. Well, <laughs> and I mean, to be fair, some people volunteer to pay to listen to this. That's <laughs> which is crazy <laughs> when they don't have to. Thanks to all the Patreon people. Patreon.com/slash Dade Mag. Oh, man, this guy uh, we are here with actor. Also writer, correct? You wrote the thing that there was just a reading for? Will you be directing it? Uh, no, probably not. Have you directed a thing? I have directed a thing. Actor, writer, and director. There you go. I have Robbie it. Ramos. We, uh, and Tremendo Tipo. And Tremendo Tipo. Tremendo Tipo. Tremendo Tipo. Easily the best main we have had on this podcast. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. Dave Arbella will have something to say about that. I don't know. No, what about I'm, I'm saying stuff? Maine goes all the way around. Oh, that's the yeah. point, yeah. It's like that's a lion situation. Solid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. solid. Yeah, Dave solid. Arbello is the Rafiki to his Simba. Uh, <laughs> I love um, it. And uh, Robbie, uh, I don't know whether this is where you first became aware of him, but I first became aware of him through Amparo. Yes. So Amparo, which if you are a longtime listener of this podcast, you know we had Vicky uh, Collado and Vanessa Garcia on this podcast and have talked about Amparo at length at various points. Robbie was a member of the cast there and is now in the cast of the Stars Show Heels, which mm-hmm. I'm sure we will get into plenty. Yeah. That is the extent of my involvement in this podcast, I hope. Thank God. And you won't hear from me anymore. It's great. Take it away, Mike. <laughs> I um, thank you for being on this shit show of a show. No, dude. I, I've like I told you, man, I've I've listened to a couple episodes and and I love it, bro. I was telling. And I don't Vic, want to hear anymore. Yeah, <laughs> couple nah, is good. Yeah, nah, I'm done. Nah, nah, that's not true. <clears throat> Unsubscribe. I was telling Nick, bro, the, the aesthetics you guys got, man. I, I fuck with it hard, bro. So, first time I ever, I, knew, I didn't know who you were. I just know I knew what you were doing. Yeah. I went to Amparo in New York. Ooh. Right. And obviously, I'm a chef. Uh, so, your whole part at the beginning there, like. I did cry, I would say, 90% of the time of that entire experience. But, like, you got me so early. I was like, nah, I'm good, bro. I'm good. I'm going to be good. I'm going to get through the whole thing. And then there's this, like, chef with a very, like, sentimental monologue. And I'm like, oh, my God, are they talking to me? Like, what the fuck? You know, like, I feel I feel attacked. 
right now. And yeah, it's yeah. like <laughs> I'm already getting teary-eyed at the beginning, and I'm like, I want to know uh, who this person is, and I want to be friends with this person. Cool, bro. Because I already felt like um, it was it was super well-written, it was well-performed, and it was just like, you know, I felt it. You know, and, and obviously I went all the way to New York, and I thought the New York experience was great. Yeah. Um, super interesting in the small, like, house, townhouse thing that it was in. And, you know, that was the first time I ever – I never met you, but that's the first time I saw you mm-hmm. and saw you perform. So thank you for that. It was amazing. Oh, um, man. I don't know if – I'm sure people have told you, but, like, it touched me super deep because that person speaking is what I am. Mm. You know, like, it's uh, – cook whatever and then like the things being said i was like i can relate to all of this yeah you know did you did you see the miami one no i did not so you so you just have that new york experience i'll tell you dude i think for my personally i think the new york one was was stronger in the fact that in the fact that it was more intimate dude it felt like it was the core of the thing. Yeah. Because we didn't have the ability to do all these other things that we did in the Miami one, you know, where it became a little bit more, I don't know, I wouldn't say a spectacle, but it felt a little more like, you know, there's dancers, you're at a party, you're all, all this type of shit. With the New York one, it was like the core message of the of the play, right. dude. And it's funny you bring up that chef shit, dude. So I, I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't know anything about chefs. I have no connection with that and i remember them coming to me before we did the new york one and they're like hey um this is like a week before and they're like listen so you're gonna come out and greet everybody as the chef and we're giving hors d'oeuvres and shit so you gotta know the the things that we're giving so that you can act like you're the chef so i'm coming out and i've never had experience with the play or chefs or anything and they made all these hors d'oeuvres, and now I gotta explain what a fuck, what's on the plate. You Welcome. know what I mean? Welcome. Which I don't know if 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 I spoke to you when I when I walked out in that original thing because it was like I would come out and greet everybody, and then the show would just start right spontaneously, and then that was scripted. But the stuff I was having improv, bro, and I have no idea about food, nothing. To yeah, me, you know what I mean. So case uh, another one. Ah, there we go. Thank you so much. Um, so it was just a, an interesting experience for me, bro. And and uh, I'm glad you connected with that, bro. I'm glad you connected with that. There, there's something about being an actor and also being put a, in a box as a as a Cuban American, right? Where they think you're one thing, and you're like, motherfucker, I'm so much more so than much just more. this bullshit that oh, you man. think it is. You know, it it's it. Man, you came out hot. That's like such a deep statement already, and we're like, yeah, like not even five minutes in. Nah, you got you started it with the fuck. No, I know, but I mean, that's how I. That's <laughs> the first time. Well, I'm just saying, that's the first time I got to know you. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like, and yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah. I reached out to you after, like, hey, man, I really appreciate you. Just like this thing. Yeah. And you know, like, acting as a chef, I doesn't mean you need to be one, understand one, but it's just like that simple thing, and um, it. I, I still remember it vividly. Yeah. I mean, I remember the whole thing vividly. You know. Um, but the beginning of it, pretty vivid. You nailed it as a chef, though. You crushed it. Yeah. 
This episode of Bangkok Podcast is brought to you by Bat Club USA. I'm here with co-founder Eric Rico. Eric, tell people a little bit about what Bat Club USA is because this concept was foreign to me. And also what you do other than bats, because I can see how people might come across Bat Club USA mm-hmm. and not realize all the other stuff that you're doing. So we're a subscription and membership service for high-end baseball and softball equipment. We know that there is a significant performance gap in the really good baseball equipment, in particular bats. So we want to make that accessible to to everyone, but not just bats. We carry everything. We can outfit players from head to toe. We carry cleats. We carry helmets. We carry batting gloves. We carry everything that your player needs to not only play good, but to look good too. And that's half the battle, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, baseball players are are funny with their with their confidence, where if they look good, they play good. So <laughs> you know, we want to make sure we can help facilitate that. I don't know if I looked good or played good when I was a kid. Maybe that's why I'm producing podcasts now, but, you know, for whatever that's worth. Talk a little bit about your own experience with baseball and what it is that you bring from your baseball career into this business. I'm a Miami kid born and raised, and we played baseball going all the way back since I was two years old. My half Cuban baseball family, my grandfather played in the Negro Leagues. So we love baseball. So I've been around baseball my whole entire life. And it was different back in the day. Things were more affordable. It was easier for kids to be able to play and excel. And now things have just gotten really expensive. So for me, my life is completely different without the game of baseball and performing great at at baseball. So again, we want to help facilitate that because we know how life-changing it can be when kids have the perfect equipment, when they do well, the confidence they build and helps them perform later in life. That's going to have so much value to parents because not every parent whose kid plays baseball knows what the hell they're doing when they're shopping for baseball bats. So to have a company that is led by people who know what they're looking at when they're looking at a baseball bat or a glove or cleats or whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because a lot of parents, what they do now is they go to a big box retailer and they let their kid pick the bat with the nicest paint job. (laughs) <laughs> right like that's essentially happens like oh i really like this one they don't get to swing it in a game they don't get to get a feel for it. they just say i like red this bat is red let's go try it out and they might not get a hit for two months but well i got the red bat that i wanted right, right. so so for us we want to make it easy for them that it's not just based on the paint it's based on what's going to help them perform their best and how we can help facilitate that So where should people go if they want to find Bat Club USA, if they want to look into whether it's right for them? You can check us out on social media, Facebook, on Instagram at Bat Club USA. You can go to BatClubUSA.com. This episode of Bancom Podcast is brought to you by The Barrel. The Barrel is a brand new sponsor of ours here on Bancom Podcast. They are a uh, Miami-made Barbecue grill. Made in Dade. Made, made, they are made in Dade. Made in Dade. However, uh, they are very careful to let you know it's not a grill or a smoker. It's the barrel. So this is actually like a really cool looking uh, cylindrical barrel shaped grill smoker. I guess roaster also. They're telling you that it's none of those things. It's just the barrel. Mm. Um, some of the benefits. The ability to be hands off when cooking, which allows you to truly enjoy the people you are cooking for. That's what it's all about, people. That is what it's all about. That's what so, it's all about. I, I don't, I can't speak on like the scientific matter of that, but it does kind of make sense because uh, air circulation. So exactly. I guess that's what it's about. So another benefit, the capacity of the barrel as compared to horizontal grills and traditional smokers. Mm. So you can fit more stuff in there. The versatility of the barrel. All different types of foods that can be cooked in it, like vegetables, chicken, ribs, <laughs> fish, steaks, pizza, etc. Sleek and sexy looking, it automatically becomes a topic of conversation, the barrel. 
I think this is why they were drawn to this podcast is they knew like these are guys who can relate to calling yourself sleek yeah. and sexy. Transport. Tra- transportability? Transportability. Transportability. That's right. Choo choo. Chugga chugga. Of the barrel. It is a compact and can be easily transported and assembled to take to the beach, tailgating the park. Because it can be broken down and reassembled so easily, you could conceivably, I mean, listen, I oh, know, I know right, you're driving okay, around in that boat of a Cadillac, but you could take it, you could tear it down, <laughs> throw it in the back of the caddy. <laughs> How many grills can you throw in the back of the Have cat? you ever seen the trunk of a Cadillac from 1961? No, it I know they're big. It fits several, several, several bodies. I know, but bodies are more malleable than barrels. That's actually a good point. I'm actually, once once we get our barrel, right? once we get our barrel, I think a good test would be, does it fit in the trunk of the Cadillac? I think we should do this. This is a great test. This is good. If, this... you're a, if you are a uh, Series 62, mm-hmm. if you're a Series 62 owner, can you put the barrel in the trunk of your caddy? Um, so, uh, like Mike said, when we get our hands on this thing, we have not yet, we will soon. Uh, so strap in cause we're going to have updates on when we finally get our hands on the barrel. Maybe we'll like grill some stuff when we are watching fights or something. Who knows? Uh, you can find out more about the barrel at barrel, the barbecue.com barrel, the bbq.com again, barrel, the bbq.com. And Oh, by the way, if you're in Miami, you can uh, purchase a barrel. If you're not an online shopping kind of person, you can purchase a barrel at Josh's Premium Meats in mm. South Miami. Josh Pasquale, of course, past guest of the podcast. Check them out. New shop. New things. Looking good. That's right. And uh, just so you know, it's not a grill or a smoker. It's a barrel. If you're buying online at barrelthebbq.com, you can use promo code Pang. Pang Ten. That's P A N C O N. The number one. The number zero. Pang Kong Ten for. You want to know what that gets you? I I can't wait to find out. I'm one hundred dollars gonna... off. Wow. A hundred dollars off. Wow. Just for you being a listener of Pang Kong Podcast. Pang Kong Ten. Uh huh. You get a hundred dollars off. 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 Michael Beltran, the Oprah of barbecue grill smoker roaster Ooh, things. Ooh man, Watch I out. love this. God, this is good. This episode of Pancom Podcast is also brought to you by Steelite International. Uh, Steelite International, who sell Mike and so many of his restaurants uh, their dinnerware, mm-hmm. is the world's leading supplier of tabletop and buffet products for the global hospitality industry. Mike, tell the people a little bit about why you go with Steelite. I think that in my experience and my years of uh, obviously working with different providers when it comes to plateware, Steelite has provided a unique opportunity to cater to every level of dining when it comes to, you know, uh, easy dining if you were going to talk about a place like Chugs and all the way to fine dining when you talk about a place like Ariette. They have incredible options. They have uh, they work with great people to provide great service. And I think that the varied options that they do provide gives you an opportunity as a chef to really showcase what you do on the plate. So they are committed to providing the best in functionality and design while minimizing the effect on our environment, they have 12 showrooms worldwide. So, what's up? Including oh, Atlanta, Chicago, Cincinnati, Hong Kong, London Town, 
Los Angeles, Madrid, New York, Toronto, Washington, D.C., and, of course, Youngstown, Ohio. I love the Youngstown, Ohio. I know. It's just so random. Very curveball-y in there. Steelite services more than 140 countries with dual headquarters located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. and Stoke-on-Trent, United Kingdom, along with 500,000 square feet of manufacturing facility. Visit Steelite.com for info. That's S-T-E-E-L-I-T-E.com for info. Mike, is there, let's just, for the sake of throwing, uh, let's make this shameless plugs for you too. Sure. Are there like a, is there like a dish or two that comes to mind where you're like plating it here, made a lot of sense and it's a beautiful thing? Um, there was a dish that they provided for our Monkfish Wellington for one of the side dishes. Okay. For it, which is the squid ink gnocchi with the truffle on top and then the truffle jus underneath it. I mean, I've been looking for a plate that was like, that could fit that and what I wanted it to look like. And, um, you know, it was, it was the only one I found of its kind that I very much thought fit. Oh, so where do we go from here? I, you know, like just the idea of being put in a box. I, I have so many thoughts about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Cuban Cubans and Cuban Americans, like we don't really get talked about a lot in the like the larger scale of uh, cultures that have been oppressed or whatever, because we're it's a pretty quiet island other than the last year. Um, but it's incredible to me that we we really aren't what people think we are. And the more artists I I meet of Cuban Americans, like people around my age, just shows like what the country could have been if it was free because mm. there would be so many more like us you know yeah. there'd be so so many more people being creative being progressive uh you know be, living in an industry that no no longer is allowed to live unless they're told what they can say or what they can perform or you know how they want to feel you know so that being put in a box thing it, it's nuts because um next month thank you case Next month, I'm going to California, and I'm doing a seminar for the Culinary Institute of America. And the seminar is all about reinterpreting Cuban flavors. Cuban what? Cuban flavors. Okay. And I'm doing this in front of a bunch of, like, what in my industry I consider suits. You know, like people in chef coats, because no one in my company wears a chef coat. I don't wear a chef coat. Um, And it's being broadcast around the world. And I just think about it like uh, I've had a couple opportunities over the last like year to talk about how important our mission is. And when I say ours, I say people like you and myself to show people that there's so much more to our culture and to our people that people just don't know and they don't understand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's going to be interesting. I feel a fuck ton of pressure for it, you know, um, yeah. but I'm I'm also on stage at the same time with a good friend of mine that's Peruvian that does the idea is reinterpreting Cuban and Peruvian flavors through fine dining. Gotcha. And um, so it's going to be a good time. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. It's interesting what you said there at the beginning about like um, you know had Cuba been free and and people like you and me would have been on that island. And I agree with you, but then I also have a feeling that. Part of that drive that you and you and I have comes from our families being exiled. Yeah, yeah. It, it comes from 
feeling like motherfuckers are trying to put us in a box and we're trying to break out of this shit. Yeah. Right? And so I don't know, man, there's there's a thing about kind of accepting, you know. Well, I think a lot of it also is the feeling of being lost, though. You know, we are the children of the lost. Yep. Who 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 do we reside with and who do we live with? Right. Yeah. We're not Cuban. We're, we're not American. Who accepts us? And I remember like when we did the podcast with Rosa Maria, she was like, you are as Cuban as I am. And it, I mean, I was honored, right? Like, you know, I was born in fucking Hialeah. But at the same time, it's like the blood that I have inside of me feels for somewhere that I have no idea where it is because we are incredibly lost. You know, like we live in Miami and I think Miami is the most Cuban place you can get outside of Cuba. But it may be the last Cuba that we actually can resonate with that we understand, right? That we have like some kind of association with because things are so far gone. Yep. You know, and it, it's like my family, and I think so many families too, they came here and they just wanted to fucking fit in, right? Because they were like, they had an opportunity to be free. Right. They had an opportunity to give their families like much more of a life. And they wanted, I, you know, I think saying that they assimilated is a bad way to say it, but I think at the end, at the same time, they assimilated, right? Sure. Like yeah. they wanted to be American, and I understand why. Um, they wanted us to fit in. They wanted us to fit a mold because they wanted us to grow and like have an opportunity to be free. But then us at our age, because I think as being like creative and, you know, like I'm a restless human. Um, I'm never I never feel comfortable at home. And I feel like that lack of comfort comes from that feeling of being lost hmm. from a cultural perspective. Because I think when I like when I talk to Nick, shockingly, like, you know, it's me and Nick never agree. But like <laughs> when I talk to Nick, I feel a lot of like I'm not I'm not alone in this. I'm not I'm not the only one that feels this way. I'm sure that maybe you probably feel the same. Oh, 100 percent, dude. 100 percent. There's no nowhere in the country. And I've lived in New York. I've lived in L.A., Atlanta now. Um, there's nowhere in the country that I feel uh, I can find my tribe other right. than here this is the only place where my tribe exists and i always tell vani and, and vicky that it's like when i found them i felt like holy shit yeah because i have been in new york for six seven years with with other people in the latino theater community in new york i didn't connect bro yeah i'll tell you this dude i'm doing a play at, a, at this theater called intar in in new york which is like one of the biggest theater uh latino theater companies in the world right amazing congrats Thank you. I get cast in the play there. I go into the office, right? I'm feeling what you said. Congrats, right? I'm fucking pumped, dude. Yeah. Right? I've been here about this company. I get into the office, and there are pictures on the walls of Che Guevara. Not just Che Guevara, bro, because we know about this bullshit about the colleges and, you know, the young kids. Che Guevara, Fidel Castro walking through Havana. You know that famous picture that they're all kind of yeah. uh, arms locked? Which then eventually you see all these people died. This guy committed suicide. Like they have another picture after that that tells you what happened to all these fucking people that were in the line with Fidel. But point is, that's the picture I see there, dude. And, I, and I'm confronted instantly with this isn't my tribe, dude. Yeah. So I think that moment for me was fucking huge because... Uh, 
I had gotten to New York and all I heard was Latinos and we got to stick together and Latino culture and this, right. that, and the other. Ni pinga, bro, to yeah. keep it Cuban as fuck. Ni pinga. Yeah. We're Cuban-American and then there's Puerto Rican-American, there's Mexican-American and that's not to say that we don't obviously have things that we connect with, right? Yeah. We have a, a language, we have other things that we connect to but the, the fact of the matter is we're fucking different, dude. All of us. That's like putting Irish, Scottish, British fucking uh australian well, i mean you i can't wonder do that i wonder if there was a puerto rican american or a mexican american at this table and you were to tell them to look at that picture and what they feel they wouldn't feel what we feel a hundred percent man you know they would I, and i would be interested to see what they feel or what they think and i i have a lot of very close puerto rican friends and i feel like they may feel how i feel but i think the majority outside of miami wouldn't feel the same way well they've been fed a, a propaganda bro yeah, they pro- bought into it you pro- know propaganda is what what feeds the understanding of the rest of the world, right? Because they, they fall into the motorcycle diaries of the way what, what Che... The romanticism of it. Right. This is why Jay-Z wears Che shirts and he thinks it's cool. Exactly. You know, and um, uh, like I still... I sometimes when I'm like in my car and like a Jay-Z song comes on and I start like bumping to it, I'm like, this guy's a fucking communist sympathizer in the back of my head. Like he's a it's fucking tough. piece of shit. I know. You know? It's the same thing as, like, people smoking Cuban cigars. I can go on about this forever. Nick, go ahead. So, uh, two things. Number one, just my two cents on this topic. Because, I mean, you and I, I don't know, did you uh, did you leave Miami for school or something? Obviously, you've, yeah, you've yeah. been outside of Miami. Yeah, I left to New York for a one-year yeah. conservatory. I, my perspective on that whole, on the, that aspect of, like, what is it to be Hispanic or Latin or Latino or whatever, at the end of the day, it's it's cultures. And I think that there are... What we have, especially having been in Miami, is this unique experience of cultures that never had a need to meld into each other, where a lot of people in the rest of the country are in a situation where a new culture is born of this Hispanic, U.S. American thing. But here there's enough of each thing. Like, you could be from Uruguay, and there are enough Uruguayos to, like, connect with and maintain an enclave of people. Yeah. Um, and that, that was kind of my takeaway from that, right? Like, I realize it's it's not... Because you go to Mexico and you ask Mexicans about Guatemalans and they don't talk the way that Mexican-Americans talk about Guatemalan Americans in the same way that, you know, because they have their own thing. If you're in Mexico, you're among Mexicans and you don't need to, you know, feel any way about anybody. Maybe you like them, maybe you don't, but it's not because of some forced sense of like, oh, there's more of us now, so let's create a new thing. Uh we, I think we were talking before we turned on the mics about the fact that, Robbie, you had as a, as a teacher, past guest, Ricardo Paoyosa. Yeah. And you guys were both talking about, like, what it is that being Cuban leads to you, I don't know, bringing into the world or whatever, right? About the breaking out of a box. or And in that conversation, I don't know if you finished that episode, but toward the end of it, you and Ricardo, Mike, started talking about... Um, about that aspect of it, of like, what does that experience of being Cuban or a Cuban exile or whatever, uh, get, what does that imbue on like what you bring to the shit you do? And so I pulled up the YouTube video and I pulled up the captions just to, uh, to read it. Maybe I'll cut in with like the actual video in the podcast version, but Ricardo here is talking about like what having been through being Cuban American or a Cuban exile gives you. And he says, we should, we should embrace our fate. It is a fate that is lonely and bewildering, but deepening, and that has given us a relevance that very few in a society that is driven by pleasure 
and frivolity will ever experience. And I, in that sense, I am I'm grateful that I am in that in this position. Mm. As as difficult as it often is. I think there what he's saying is like you've been through shit that other people don't know, and like your mission is to let them know that that shit can happen. Yeah. And and you have a relevance to the world that people who have no connection to that can't have. Like they have no idea what that is. And maybe they bring other shit to the world, but like that's what you bring to the world because you know. So anyway, that's, I have to say the the podcast we did with Ricardo, like I, we we were so drunk by the time we finished <laughs> that fucking podcast, you know, <clears throat> that seminar I told you I'm doing, Nick and I did a video for it because they asked for like some like a small snippet of like a two minute video for it, and then Nick reminded me of a quote that Ricardo said, and I, for the life of me. If you told me you would give me a million dollars to remember that he said that, I would be like, nah. At all. And I have thought about that quote You've every single wow. fucking day since we did that video. What was the quote exactly? <laughs> Come on. Give it to me. It was um, uh, for, uh, for those who see themselves as being in a Cuban context, Cuba is dead. So here he's talking about if you live in Cuba or even if you're just like outside of Cuba, but you see yourself as living in a Cuban context, like the things around you are Cuban, Cuba is dead. But for those who see Cuba as being in them and they are the context, Cuba is alive. Wow. I mean, that's exactly what the fuck we're doing. That's exactly it. Like people our age doing what we're doing, the things that we're adding to the world, that is exactly it. Wow, and I was entirely too fucked up to remember that statement. I could be 100% honest about that because we drank a fuck ton that day. Yeah. And it was just like, man, like I have really, and I've thought about it so much. Like we are really telling a new story of what and who our people are as they try every day to become free. We live a free life for the most part. We are free, right? They are not. And we are living a different story. But we are still just like them, fighting along them in a different way. And it's it's crazy to me. It's just it's such a it's such a mind fuck, you know, because yeah. we live our day to day life, but knowing like deep inside of us there's another thing that we're trying to accomplish mm -hmm. at the same time. You through your art, me through what I do, which is cooking. It's but we're all I think that the end game is the same, right? Dude, it, that, that quote is fucking amazing. And, and one of the things that automatically come up in my brain is um, my grandparents, you know? Um, when you say the people on the island, the, the, the connection that I make is the people that passed who went through fucking awful shit. Yeah, awful. Who, who got their, their freedoms taken from them, that they had to then go to another completely different country and then build this thing up again um that shit lives within me dude to an extent that i can't even fucking explain bro yeah it's just in my fucking blood it's in everything that i do it's it's it doesn't allow me to conform to things that uh that otherwise would make my life easier in my career does that make sense i mean Trust me, that makes a lot of sense Dog. for me. Trust me, you have no idea how much <laughs> so, sense it makes okay, for me. Fire, bro. I, I, I love that I'm talking with you, dude. Because, uh, you know, these are things that we can only speak about to 
other people that are again in our tribe bro uh, if not it just doesn't they don't fucking compute and and that that quote says everything dude well you know people ask me all the time like what like why do you work so much why do you work so hard i mean i honestly don't know any other way like this is kind of like in my nature to do this but also when i ever think about like you know i feel like fucking off today or i feel like not doing anything today it was my grandfather's 92nd birthday five days ago right and every time i sit with him there's a longing in his face that i can never get out of my brain because all he does is want to go home and he'll never go back home and he gave up all of that for me to do this. Yeah. And who am I to be like, okay, I'm just going to have like a regular job. I'm not going to try to make a fucking difference. I'm not going to try to do something. This is exactly why I do the things that I do. And I am the way that I am because of him and my grandmother. Because those two human beings have sacrificed a fuck ton. A life of being where they loved. They loved where they were. Mm-hmm. You know, Pinareños, they are a certain way. And they love where they're from. And they miss it every single day. And you see it. There's a longing in their face. And, and like, and when you look in their eyes, they're just like, I love you. And that's why I'm here. But not because I fucking want to be here. Because they don't want to be here. You know, they did it for us. So we can have all these opportunities to fucking. And who are we to just be like, nah, you know what? Fuck it. We're just going to stop this story now. We're going to do whatever the fuck we want. We're going to have the venti lattes all day, and we're not going to try to do anything <laughs> fucking different. Are they both still alive? Yes, they oh, are. Oh, man. What a blessing, bro. It's a blessing. Yeah, man. Yeah, my, my, my grandfather passed. So uh, speaking of Amparo, my grandma and my grandfather both passed at the same time that we were doing the play here in Miami. Um, and they both went. Uh, so my grandmother was uh, Alzheimer's, and my, my grandfather was dementia. Uh, uh, spurred on by her Alzheimer's. So right. her shit fucked him up. Um, right. He dealt with it for like a decade, dude. And then, you know, when we when we uh, we finally couldn't take it anymore, like she was getting violent and that kind of thing, we, we put her in a home. And then, bro, his dementia just went, whoop. Like he lost it, dude, you know? They have been together 60 plus years, bro. I know, it's the same. 60 plus years. It's, Could it's you imagine insane, that? Li- like, you know, like, I, I just feel like Society today is not programmed that way anymore. But, brother, I mean, 60 years. Like, they cannot operate without one another. 60 plus. It it might have even been 70, bro, because he was 93 when he passed. And he had been with her since he was, like, 20, 21. So, yeah, bro, more than – I mean, you know, it's it's, – and uh, and so they passed while we were doing Amparo. And and in Amparo, my grandfather, like, in the play, he has – my grandmother just passed away in the play. My grandmother just passed away, and my grandfather has Alzheimer's. And in the play, in the Miami one, because we changed that, I wasn't a chef anymore. I was the brand ambassador, which was based on Gio Gutierrez, who's the Rio Havana Club, and that Senor Chacho. Exactly. Right. Uh, we we put it. We put that so that my grandfather had uh, uh, Alzheimer's, and I had a part in the play where I, he'd come up to me and he'd be asking, "Where's Where's Mima?" You know. And I'd be like, no, no, I will, you know. Uh, and then I, I, I didn't have the heart to tell him she passed away. So I'd be like, I will put on my whatever. We had like a little way of doing it. Um, and bro, it, it was it was a weird time in my life where like life was imitating art. Yeah. And and I feel like so much of, I think what people like us do, it it really does. Life imitates art every day. 
Yeah. You know, like I, when I'm at my creative best is when I feel incredibly emotional about something, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, it usually resonates with like that lost nature of life, you know, like mm-hmm. that feeling of like not having an anchor to say like, this is where we're from. This is what we're doing. This is who we are. And I, I, I feel like so much of at least what I always go back to, like this center place is like, who are we really us right like the children of immigrants the you know children of the lost yeah man children of people just trying to make it yeah children of uh, of people not trying to be oppressed and live under this like you know what they've been living under for 60 fucking years insane bro it's fucking insane for me it uh, it always goes back to something that anchors me at least is legacy right yeah and the word legacy is like wow big but it comes back to them, you know, my grandma, my grandfather, and and that shit grounds me, dude. I have anxiety. I deal with anxiety and shit, and uh, same I'm a performer, all this, right? So, which might be linked to our fucking past trauma, our family, you know, who the fuck knows where knows? our anxiety comes from. But the the thing that always anchors me is that, bro. I I carry them with me, and I and I feel that anchors me. Yeah, that legacy. That well, they, you know, uh, like anxiety is a good. Uh, I deal with a, a, a decent amount, and I always feel like, what am I doing it for? Hmm. Right? Like, the, that's where the anxiety starts to, like, build, right? Like, what am I doing it for? Like, I don't just do, like, I don't cook to do cool food to do cool food. There's got to be a purpose behind it. There has to be a reason. There has to be a thing. There has to be, like, some kind of, like, very, like, a thing that means a lot to me. Because if not, I just feel like it's it's whatever. It's fine. It tastes cool. You know, but it's like I'm not connected to it. And it's like if people like it, they like it. If they don't, like I don't give a fuck. You yeah. know? Yeah. But if I feel like there's there's a connection and I really I, – I need them to like this. So I need them to understand where I'm coming from. That's where anxiety builds. You mm-hmm. know, because they're – like the legacy is there. It's because I'm trying to tell a story. Do you want – and a lot of times, at least in my career, they – a lot of people don't want to know the story. They just want to eat. They just want to get the fuck out. You know, <laughs> right. and, and that's cool. I mean, they're still going to pay. So, but I think like where that, I mean, I woke up at fucking 4.50 this morning. Just like wow, popped up out of bed. Just like, why am I awake? Can't go back to bed. And I was like thinking it through, like sitting in a fucking dark room, thinking it through, like looking at the fucking ceiling. What? It's because like the shit am I, that I'm going to cook today. What? That guy's from Kendall, huh? <laughs> what <laughs> the shit that I'm going to cook today what does it mean who does it mean something to why does it mean something that to me like I don't know it, it means a fuck ton did you you always wanted to be a chef no does that come from family does is there somebody in your family that well you know my grandparents they worked they worked at Ariette in outside of Pinata Rio uh, yeah that's where Ariette comes from that's where Ariette comes from Everyone says Ariete, but it, so it's... Ariete. Well, the reason why I don't say Ariete, it sounds like a Daddy Yankee song, and it bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Daddy Yankee, dude. Yeah. He's Fuck a great guy. Up, bro. I just, it sounds like one of his songs, and it bothers me all the time. What, and just, what would that, sound, that song sound like? Ariete. Eh, eh, Ariete. No, he has eh, it down. No, I know, because I've heard it in my head so many times. <laughs> right. So I just tell people Ariete, and it's usually easier with the... Uh, very American folks. Right. So when when did you start all of this? When did you start the acting, writing thing? 
right after high school, man. So I finished, where'd you go to high school? Uh, Southwest and South Miami. Oh yeah, Southwest yeah. Eagles. Yeah, bro. South, South Miami Cobras. Eagles. La Salvesera, dude. Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> and then I went to to South Miami my senior year. So what happened to me was I always wanted to be a baseball player since I was fucking five years old. Um, and uh, it was a good time for our ad for Black Club USA. <laughs> there you go, dude. <laughs> go. There you go. Thanks for the segue, Robbie. Yeah, Insert ad now. <laughs> Carry on. I can start. All right, good. Um, so, dude, I, yeah, I started playing since I was five and uh, played all the way through uh, high school. And then um, my sophomore year, I started getting into some, you know, uh, fucking trying to hang out with chicks. I was trying to be the cool kid. I was trying to do all this bullshit, rebel a little bit. And um, Rebellion is fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is Rebelling fine, is fine. Right. My grades went fucking, you know, crashed. And um, I got into some trouble at Southwest. The coach was a prick, which I hope he listens to this podcast. <laughs> this, if, is my, this is my head. Now, now I have a fucking platform to tell this motherfucker. If you're fuck. listening, the coach yeah. from Southwest in the year? Uh, 2004 to 2008. If you're listening, sir, you are a fucking prick. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Put that into a clip and let me post it on my <laughs> socials. <laughs> Um, nah, <laughs> yeah, 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 no, bro, but you know, what ended up happening was he, you know, he was in the right in some things, you know, I, I think he, I, I prank called, uh, the JV coach one day and he fucking took that super personal and was like, you're a piece of shit and jerky boys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so, you know, then I went to South Miami and he talked shit there to the coaches there, the coach from Southwest talked shit about me to the South Miami coaches. And then I went just my senior year. It was too late, bro. I, I don't know if you were into sports growing yeah, I up. Play, I, I played uh, high school and college sports. Okay, bro. So you know that if the first three years you fucked off, that yeah. senior year you're fucked already, dude. It's Correct. too late. Um, and that's basically what happened to me, dude. So, um, so the baseball thing didn't work out. And, uh, and then I, I went into college, and that's when I had all these – uh, teachers at Miami Dade, and I started fucking searching, bro. I started writing things down, what I was feeling and things like that. And acting was one of the the careers I wanted to try, bro. It was either so you never acted before? No, dude, nothing. I- interesting, nothing at all. Crazy. And it was either psychology or acting. And uh, I, I had a psychology class, and then I took an acting class, and acting won out, man. I acted in middle school. Oh, you did? Yeah. I was an Elvis impersonating Santa Claus. Fire, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I was an Elvis impersonating Santa Claus. I also, I also did two years as the dad of some kids in the Christmas play uh-huh. in middle school. I won male actor of the year three years in a row. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> dude, add that to the intro, bro. Yeah. You're saying that. No, nah, Nick will never do it. He's <laughs> still. I've heard that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, that will be every time. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Dude, I love it. I yeah. love it, bro. Yeah. I mean, I, went, I, I got kicked out of a bunch of schools younger. When I was younger, when I got to Columbus, I they finally kept me. Okay. Because I played sports. So they were like, you're fine. What year were you at Columbus? I graduated 2003. Okay. Do you know JD, Jose Daniel Fresas? Uh, it sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. He went to Columbus too. And I, I think he might have he been at your time. And he was doing graffiti and shit at the time. Now he's in the film business. Oh, is he? Yeah, bro. Oh, I love that. I'll link you up, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, should, you should talk On to the him. next Pancom podcast. Yeah, exactly. See? I'm <laughs> I doing it that. all, bro. I'm adding to your intro. I'm getting you guests. Oh, I, I love this. <laughs> Nick is really going to capitalize on all this. <laughs> yeah, you should sure. take some of the Patreon sales. 
Nick's like, want, no, don't. I want to cut. You can you can have ninety nine percent of our profits. Okay, okay, fire, fire. That lets you know I'll, where our profits I'll, are. I'll, I'll take what Mike has made and I'll double it for you. Okay, okay, <laughs> dope, brother. Yeah, so I mean, uh, um, so dude, yeah, I got into acting and then I, uh, I had my first play at Miami Dade, bro, and I and I booked the lead in my first fucking play ever. You can imagine how that was, bro. The first night, all my boys are like baseball dudes from fucking Sawaseda and all this other bullshit. And the curtains open on that first night. And my boy's like, Roby! Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, I'm trying to act here. I'm, I'm, I'm in a new fucking stage, Such dude. a Miami experience, It huh? is. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nick needs another. I need another. Damn, dog. We're getting into it, bro. This is how all the podcasts go. Oh, this, yeah. is, this is great. <laughs> this, is, this is my favorite wow. podcast. <laughs> this is my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Internal timer went off. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <clears throat> So, so after that first play, Miami Dade. What year was that? Freshman year, sophomore year? That was, uh, yeah, that was like my freshman year, so 2009. Um, and I mean, was it like automatic? You're like, I want to be an actor, bro. It was, it was pretty automatic, dude. So I, I took an acting class there, and um, uh, I had a monologue that they give you a monologue, right? Which is like a chunk of dialogue, kind of similar to what you saw me doing on Bottle. And uh, they ask you, you know, to personalize it, right? So you kind of, uh, you bring yourself to the part, right? Yeah. And for me, it was, uh, it was this monologue about now reaching your potential, which was fucking perfect, right? I had done the baseball shit. I was pretty good, bro. I wasn't bad, you know what I mean? And I had enough potential. I could have played at a D2 or some shit, not D1, but um, I could have kept that going a little longer, and I didn't, you know? I just fucked off, and... Um, that monologue spoke to me, bro, and and so I I kind of, you know, I I, I stepped into the shoes of the, of the character in that monologue, and I. Do remember, you remember the monologue? Nah, bro. Oh man, I, I would love dude. that right I know, now. I know. Oh. <laughs> I start fucking tearing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't remember it, bro. But uh, it was from a play, and and I remember doing the monologue in front of the class, and uh, bro, it, it. I remember the class kind of like. You know, everyone's fucking around. You're, some people aren't even doing that class because they want to be an actor. It's just an, an easy grade, right? Right. You're in college and shit. And so I do the monologue and I feel everybody's bodies like like they're like, oh, shit. It's right? when you capture people. Yeah, bro. That's the moment. And that was the drug, dog. And ever since then, bro, it's just been trying to fucking, uh, how can I find this drug, you know? Isn't uh, it crazy you find a drug that's not a drug? I remember... Um, hmm. Area year one, I had worked in a ton of restaurants that weren't busy. Just not. Area year one, the first eight months, it was very busy. And uh, then we hit like a hard stop. Wasn't busy at all. Zero. And I remember. Thanks, Case. Why, though, dude? So it, it had been busy and then it just. Opening. I mean, it's very status quo for Miami. You open a restaurant, busy. If you don't follow through with the things you said you were going to follow through with, then um, people stop coming. It's just, it's just the way it is. Like, but when we, you say you don't follow through, because we, we, we didn't deliver to the extent of which I wish we would have delivered the first eight months. Okay. We had a lot of growing to do. I wasn't as good as I should have been. Uh, I didn't know the things that I know now. I. You know, I failed in a lot of ways. Was it at this spot here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
And we still turned six January 14th of 2021, oh. 22. The, the other restaurants that you mentioned, you were also the owner of them? No, no, no. Okay, no, so this, this was my, your first. This was my first ownership. Uh, and um, what year is this, dude? Um, 2016. Okay. Oh shit! Reset. 2016. And um, we we just stopped being busy, right? It's also like being an owner. You understand business, and you understand like the seasons of Miami when business is good, when it's bad. I didn't know any of that. And like the first eight months, we were like so busy, and it was like I felt on top of the world. I felt like, man, like I, fu- I can, I can do this. I fucking did this, and and it was like, it was like a drug. And when it was taken away from me, it was like, I need it back. Mm-hmm. I need it back. And then not only do I need it back, I need to fucking crush it. I need to crush every aspect of it. I need to know every aspect of it. I need to be very good at every aspect of it. And that's what led me to like where I am now. Uh, chef restaurateur like I know a lot more than I did six years ago I've studied a ton I've worked a ton and it's just like that shit is a drug man it is dude. it's a drug it's like capturing a room for you and for me is different I know when I capture a room I can feel it I can feel when the room is like everyone's good same though everyone's having a good time yeah the food is like it's the food is just like it's crushing cocktails beverage it's all crushing and you can feel every ass and for me since i'm like the architect of all the things along with an amazing team like i can feel when something is just out of sort i could feel it i can feel it in like my core mm-hmm. but when it's all what like when it's all going super well i also feel that and it's a drug 2016 so 2016 is when you open yeah the first eight months, like you said, were fire, and then it starts going down. Now, when you say that it, it, it you, you had to kind of like reinvent yourself. Um, did you shut down the restaurant? No. Or you, so you kept it going, but at the same time, you're learning all these other things. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that the identity was a problem at the beginning. Mm. I came from a super well-known place that wasn't incredibly busy, but it had a big name. Um, what was it? Uh, Cypress Room. Okay. And it was the, the food was great, service everything was great about that restaurant. Um, my chefs were great. Um, you know, the restaurant was impeccable. And for some reason it just like didn't knock. Like it just didn't hit, you know? And then when we opened here it felt kind of like Cypress Room South. It wasn't me. It wasn't who I wanted to be, it wasn't who I was. But I was so I mean there's a lot of and the same thing as being on stage. Like, you're very vulnerable. And there's a lot of, like, uh, when you give up that vulnerability and you put yourself out there, it's very scary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, when we were going down, and I thought that was a good... I mean, we almost closed several times in those first two years. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to do the shit my way. I'm going to do... I'm going to I'm gonna tell a story that I want to tell, and I'm going to really find out who the fuck I am. That's what I did. And um, people responded. They responded. Miami responded. Miami showed up. So people start trickling back in. Yeah. Little by little, it just starts growing. Well, you know, I changed, too. I changed, too. I, I like, um, I wasn't just, like, behind a curtain. I, I wanted to tell a story, our story, the Cuban-American story. And I started to understand what that really meant. 
to the community and to to us and to a ton of people. And that's when I started to realize that I wasn't fucking alone. It wasn't just me that had something to say about this. There was a lot of other people. There's a lot of other people, too, that I got a lot of say that I'm full of shit, too. Oh, yeah. um, but they still came and they still spent their money. <laughs> so <laughs> right, right. they still helped the cause. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, and from that I've learned so much. Like, don't be scared to be who you are um, and be, like, very adamant. Like, I'll never pretend to be somebody else. And I give zero fucks if someone wants me to be something else. And that's something you learned through what you went through with I this. learned through failure. Mm-hmm. I learned through failure. I learned through, like being pretty much on the ground saying like we have no shot of making this work but we're still going to push through it and that's why we're still here today bro the restaurant business i i can't even fathom um i i was listening to this in the beginning of the pandemic they had a joe rogan i don't know if you listen to rogan at all i I don't listen to any podcast especially not this one Okay, good. Right. <laughs> you don't waste your time with the with the podcast. But look, but Rogan, man, he had a, a chef on, and it was the beginning of the pandemic. And Which chef, bro? He owns he owns a, a restaurant in California. He's a big dude. He's a, he's a he's like a fat dude. Oh yeah. Uh, and he had a woman with him on the podcast. I'll I'll share it with you after. Um, but just the numbers of restaurants that actually make it Mm -hmm. because this woman was talking about that it's fucking 85 percent failure rate in the first 12 months that's that's what she said 72 percent failure rate in the first 24 uh 55 percent failure rate after year three after year three it drops down to 30 percent after year three and you go to year four and five you drop down to 20 percent failure rate I'm aware of the numbers. I'm a You're gambler aware like a of motherfucker. The numbers, bro. Exactly, dude. Yeah. I so, think we, we might be talking about Evan Funke. Oh, SMA yeah, also. Felix. Yeah. Yes, Felix in the side. Felix. Yeah, yes, senor, uh, fuck your pasta machine. Uh-huh. Is that yeah. what is that? That's his, like, slogan because he uses um, old school technique that he only uses his gigantic uh, rolling pin to make pasta. Okay. Do you respect him or do you feel like he's... I mean, his food's great. I feel like the way he does that is incredibly inefficient. But if he feels like it's better, then that's cool. I mean, I if he still keeps that up today with the lack of labor that there is in the I world, wonder, like yeah. more power to him. But his food is incredible. Like he, I mean, he definitely knows what the fuck is up. Yeah. For sure. Well, his restaurant survived, bro, in L.A., which is, you know... I know. His chef is a Miami guy. Oh, I didn't know that, dude. Well, he was. Uh, Craig Junta. He's a good friend of mine. Okay. Yeah, so listening to that podcast like opened my eyes to this world, bro. So I have enormous respect for it, man. And actors, we share the same thing. I mean, the success rate of an actor who's oh, actually man. making a living off of acting is fucking—it's crazy. I mean, it's it's actually less than less than one percent, bro. I mean, I mean, like you, I mean it seems like to me that you're making you're 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 doing pretty fucking well. Yeah, man. yeah, no, no. This is the first year of my life that I am making my money solely from acting. I mean, when I saw that you were on this show, yeah. Star Show, yeah, I was like, "This is amazing! This is incredible!" <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, because like it's one thing to be on a play, like doing the play thing is like it's a hard grind. I have a, a huge respect for this art. Like, it's it's very difficult. Like when you do the play thing, it's really like a love, and you do it. Um, there's another uh, Miami person on Broadway right now in Chicago. Uh, I forgot her name. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, Anna Villafanie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
I mean, that's incredible. Like, I love seeing this, you know? And then to get on a show on Stars, like, you're, you're fucking, this is huge. Huge! <laughs> huge. Huge! Huge! Uh, so, I just, like, I was incredibly, like, proud to see that. And I don't even really know you. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But I just know we come from like the same cloth, right? Exactly, bro. And it, and I know how difficult it is, because any kind of art form is tough, right? One that there's so many dollars and cents connected to the general public mm-hmm. makes it even more difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think when you talk about art and like painting and stuff, there's a small niche of people that will pay a fuck ton for art. Yeah, you know. But when you're talking about like the general public now needs to like you, they need to like you, and they need to be <laughs> yeah. cool with you being on a show. Yeah. That's on a uh, a paid for cable yeah. network, right? Is it a network? Is that what it is? Stars yeah, is a network. To say, yeah. yeah, it's yeah, a network. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that's fucking incredible, you know. And yeah. I, I never met you, and I'm like, I'm super proud. <laughs> I'm very proud. Yeah. No, man. I mean, we share. We're we're the same tribe, bro. I feel the same about you, man. When I I, I first came to. Um, Ariete, I'll call. I'll keep calling it the. Daddy Do what Yankee you want. Fucking, That's cool. I like because it. I don't want to butcher the name. If no, I, I mean it's the, good. You know, it's already ingrained in my head with the Daddy Yankee shit. So Ariete, yeah, I, yeah, no, bro. I, I I have enormous respect for for what you've done, bro. I think you've you've found a way to bring our culture, uh, but at the same time give it a, a little remix there. That's that's solely. Michael Edrang, right? So it's not you're not like mixing all. I mean, I feel like it. Some of this shit is coming from you, bro. Yeah, like yeah. You found a way to oh, yeah. to do that, and that's what I'm trying to do with everything, bro. With my plays, mm-hmm. with with my acting, everything. I'm trying to bring because I'm inspired by Marlon Brando and and all these people oh, that man, that, that came Brando. before me. God, fuck, I love dude, him. Brando was so my. Good. That's how I learned to act. It was mimicking this motherfucker, right? I mean, he's incredible, young Brando. Yeah, like dude, it's hard oh, to. My there's no better. There's nothing better, bro. I mean, he he crushed everything. Young Brando crushed the world. So so good, bro. So, so smooth. He, yeah, dude, so, so dope. Fucking, yeah, so bro. smooth. So just, dope. It's like I just want to be that guy. I yeah. just want to, uh, in case Mike, you're not on your hosting a game. We just had a guest say that he learned to act by mimicking Brando. We shouldn't let this end without getting a Brando impression. Oh, oh man, I'm not on my host a game. It's been a long day. Throwing it out there. Yeah, no, it's cool. Oh, no, no. (laughs) Since you're saying, sir, that you learn from mimicking Brando, Uh we should do a Brando impersonation here on Pancom Podcast. (laughs) Or we could save it for the people that want to pay on Patreon. It'll be a Patreon. Patreon. Pay for Patreon. I'd much rather that. We'll charge the stars rate. What's the stars rate if you want to download it? If you're contributing on OnlyFans, you get to see Robbie Ramos do his Brando impression. It's kind of wild, dog. Some of the shit that you're bringing up, Mike, I'm like, damn, bro. We connect on a lot of things, bro. Well, I think I think a lot of like creative people around our age. I'm guessing you're what, 33? I'm 31. Dude. Oof. I have to think about that. Old? 31. He's 31. 31. I just turned 31 in August. Yeah. August what? 14. What? August 10. Nah. Yeah. You said what? Yeah, Leo's man. <laughs> Holy shit, bro. We're the More best. fucking connections. You yeah. see? Yeah. Um, That's why we vibe out, bro. 
What were we talking about before? I had to go make sure no one fucked off their closing of their uh, stations. We had just agreed that Robbie will no, do no, his no, Marlon we, Brando. Oh, we're going to do the Marlon the Brando for Patreon. No, yeah. We forgot about that, bro. No, we, we did not that. forget about that. You know what we should do? We should do the, the lightning round questions as Marlon Brando. <laughs> no, bro. No, fuck it. Yeah. That's <laughs> what guys Not no, at all. No, it's good. Oh, it's God. stupid shit. Like, my, do you prefer no, meat or guayaba patelitos? No, my Brando's going to be Robbie, bro. Trust me, dog. It's fucking... I can yes. tell you that there's, like, from an acting perspective, just as, like, being a male. Yeah. Like, the old actors, like, they were just so smooth. The shit, dude. I mean, they were, uh, you know. Paul Newman. The way, the way that they dressed, the way that they spoke. Yeah. Um, the cars that they drove. Like, Steve McQueen, bro. Oh, Steve you McQueen, You don't get fucking man. cooler than Steve McQueen, bro. That's how you end up in a Willie Chirino song. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That's true. I mean, I don't know. So, how do we get into Marlon Brando? That's what shaped a oh, lot of the beginning here. Yeah, yeah. I started to mimic him, and and um, and then through that, I just found my own, you know, my own voice. And it wasn't necessarily that I was mimicking him uh, like they do, like they would do on SNL or something. But it, there was ways that he was using his body that I found super fucking interesting. The way he would fucking just. Like, you know, he'd be in a scene just talking to you like this, and then he'd fucking take the cup and throw it against the wall. And I was experimenting with shit like that, like just taking my real anger and fucking I'm talking here with Mike, and I grab this shit, and in one line I fucking throw the cup, right? And I had an acting teacher, Anna Panaro, who I got to give a shout-out to, bro. She was the greatest and my first mentor uh, in acting, and she allowed me to fucking explore like that. Uh, we had She had a studio in her apartment. And we would do all these scenes and shit, and, and young Robbie would fucking take a... There was a trash can in the scene, and we brought in a prop as a trash can, and I would grab the trash can and fucking throw it against the wall. And we were having these performances with, like, 20 people in the room, and I was just experimenting, bro. I was finding my voice, how to how to channel some of this, uh, you know, fucking anger and other shit that I had at the time. And... Um, and so that's really where the Brando shit came from. It's just like the spontaneous, the spontaneous fucking Which is emotion great. that would happen. Yeah, bro, I, I found it through that. Really, I did. Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, as we grow older, we channel how we decide to expel our emotions to the world. You know, like uh, a lot of people find me kind of like an asshole, and then I'm like pretty dry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the way I expel my emotions to the world is through my food. You know, that's like that's the way I and I talk a ton to people that I want to talk to. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't really want to talk to people. And the way that I want to talk to them is through my food and through my restaurant. And like, that's the way that I'm thinking. That's why I tell people all the time. It's like this is not like every piece of this has been thought about. Yeah. Every piece of this has been, you know, exhaustingly put through, like, the ringer of, like, this is who and how I want to be. And that's, I mean, that that's how I speak to the world. Let me ask you, how do you, because I, I can kind of understand how, you know, you can, you can fuse the food that you're ma- making with love, right? You can make mm-hmm. something with love. But I, I what, what my question would be is. How do you channel your other emotions like anger? How does that come out in food? Like, how does that? Well, you know, it's tough, right? Because uh, at the end of the day, like, I run a business and I have partners, right? 
So we have to make money. We have to do a lot of things. We had these dinners uh, that Nick went to. How many did you go to, Nick? Two? Um, at least two. Two. Two, um, maybe three, definitely not four. The Verso Sencillo's dinners. And like those dinners were an opportunity for me to be like viscerally who I was. And it was only because we were super up against the wall. It was during a pandemic. Nothing else was happening. We were not busy. Um, we're super short staffed. And I had a bunch of people on my staff that could do more, that should have been doing more. And I pushed them to do more. But it was my opportunity to express a lot of emotion through food. And, you know, there was... There, and people could not see it this way, but there was like a lot of darkness, a lot of like incredibly intense thought. There was a lot of like uh, feeling of lost in those dinners, but they, they helped me find my way through a very dark period of my career. But what, 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 how do they translate directly into the food? Like, what kind of flavors are we talking about? It's, not, it's not even about flavors. It's okay. about plating. It's about experience. It's about, okay. it's about timing. It's about music. It's about huh. the surroundings. It's about the type of service. It's about all those things. It, it's like there's so many different elements that you can put into it, right? So I think... Why don't we, just to give Robbie some context, why don't you give, like, an example of a dish or a, part, a component of that experience that... Sure. You know, I think our best one was our last one. The last one that we did was, and it was super up against the wall. My chef was like, he had came in contact with someone with COVID. He was out for two weeks. Um, another one of my chefs was out of town. So it was just like me, one of my sous chefs, that she's amazing. So, like, she did a great job. And um, all my cooks. And... The food was very thought-provoking. It was very, like, opposite of everything that we ever did. And then also on top of that, because for me, I love to put it up against the man, to tell the man to go fuck themselves. So, like, the same day that we, we did that dinner, we were supposed to do another dinner for South Beach Food and Wine Festival that they told me that it was a lot of things there. But essentially, this, is, this was my, my way of telling them to go fuck themselves, right? I counter-programmed against a dinner I was supposed to do somewhere else, and I did my own. And I think we had the most phenomenal day, night in our history. And we only served 42 guests. It did not matter. We did nine courses. All of them were fucking spot on. It was a silky smooth service. But the service, the food, the music, the room, everything was perfect for me. Right? Yeah. Was it perfect for the world? Would it win three Michelin stars? No. But it was perfect for me. And that's all that mattered. That's right. all that mattered. And the food was like as simple but thought-provoking as I could make it, right? Like draw everything that's smoke and mirrors off of a dish and just make it about the food. And that's what we did that day. And it was like – it was perfect. It was For me, it was probably the day in my career that makes me the most emotional because, one, I was telling people to go fuck themselves, and I was mm. cool with doing that. Mm. Secondly – I was with my people that I love very much, and we were doing a thing that made them all feel very good, made me feel very good, and we were all super proud at the end of the day. And, like, all those things for me is how I can uh, transfer my emotions to someone else. Because they leave, and they'll think about it. 
They'll think about it the next day. They'll think about it three days later. They'll think about it a week later. That's that's how I transfer my emotions to someone else, right? Because I'm not really having a conversation with you. But I am through my food, through my thoughts, through like so many things, right? And And like... Nick went to a few of these, and we had so many, like, we were trying to do some off-the-wall shit. Like, let's just fucking, let's do this. Let's play it on a table. Let's make a dessert room. And all that was great. But we stripped all of that. We stripped all of it. What does this really mean to you, to me, to us? That's what it was about. I mean, I feel like that dinner was the best I've ever done. Wow, bro. I'm bummed I wasn't at this dinner, dog. It's, it's fu- I mean, I, I was going to say it's funny. I guess it's not funny, but um, it, it brings to mind the, I don't know what to call it, the mantra, but more like the description that Vicky and Vanessa always use for what they do of radical storytelling, right? Like where you're getting to the root of what you're trying to say with the thing. I, it, had this, was, I had this crazy thought back when, when we were talking to them. Like I wanted to do a dinner in a room with only 10 people, right? And in between each course, I wanted to have a scene <laughs> of a story that we wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. And that story go along with the food. What, I mean, and we've talked, we talk, I don't know if we ever aired that part of that conversation. Did no. we ever? No, right? <clears throat> we must have spoke for another 90 minutes after yeah, you, that, right? You, we basically kept that for, for the vault. Right, the vault. Yeah. So, I mean, and... It, for me, the and I love all my restaurants. I think that they're all amazing and they help me express a lot of things and a lot of emotions and feelings. But there's like an over-residing thing that's like this, almost this uh, unattainable. And, and I've attained a lot in a very young career. I've attained a ton and I'm super fortunate and blessed. But this over-attaining thing of this small restaurant that's just serving 30 people a day and it's only telling a story. Right, mm-hmm. which would be called sencillo. That would be that's all it is. That's the whole story. And in between that whole experience, there's people, and there's like it, the room would go dark, and it would just shine a light on Robbie, and Robbie would say a monologue of something that matters. And I don't know what that is, and I haven't gotten that yeah. far, yeah. but that kind of thing, and that to me is like my version of what Grant Atkins does, because Grant does it through incredible techniques that what, what what's this alinea in chicago which yeah in chicago which pulls uh. people in their mind that they could never think about food and that's why he's incredibly special and that's why you know his restaurant's top 20 in the world in the last 10 years and they've had three michelin stars for a decade and i've eaten there and it's incredible right i find that experience incredible but i like for me the experience is different because we need to tell a story that nobody knows because they don't want to know. They don't want to accept it. They don't want to say that those small boats that are made out of cars that are floating in the middle of that 90 miles between here and there, there were people once upon a time on those boats, mm-hmm. and they're no longer on them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They don't want to say that story. Yeah. But we do. Bro, I fucking love that idea, dude. I love that idea. I'm sure uh, Vicky and Vanessa were jazzed about it, bro. They, I mean... I mean, we spoke for 90 minutes after a podcast of something that's never aired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you're keeping it in the vault for 
for what reason? Is it because you don't well, want to share that I with think the it was, public? I think we really just recorded it like, hey, we just want to talk about this and let's record it because oh, yeah. we've been drinking for two hours and okay, we don't want to forget. Me. Right. <laughs> no, but I don't. I, I've like, never I've never forgotten. No, like, Joaquin, more, great job today, bro. But yeah, it was, Thank you so much. It was recorded more for our notes, basically, like for reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got you, got you, got you. Because I really, I, I feel like, you know, money and recognition and all that and awards are great. They're awesome. But that's not the goal. No. That is not the goal. You said it. Legacy is the goal. Legacy, bro. And that's why I'm writing my play. Well, I wrote my play back in 2016, which is funny. You started out here uh, at that time. I wrote my play back then. And, and uh, now after, after you know, being on heels and that, I come back and that's what I want to do, bro. I want to tell my, my stories, you know. I want to tell our stories. And... Um, I, I totally, bro, I, I love that idea about having a restaurant be an experience, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to eat incredible food. Yeah. But if, if you can help people understand why you're cooking this food at the same time, I think it more gives validation to the food and then to the story equally. I mean, dude. Now that we're you brought that up, is that that monologue that we that we do uh, that we did in the in the first Amparo in, in New York? Wouldn't that be fucking fantastic? I mean, that kind of thing. What was that monologue? You remember it? No, bro. I I don't remember. I mean, that that was, but it but it was basically, and I can find it, man. But it was basically just saying like. I start off the monologue like saying, oh, you know, Cuba and and you're going to feel the sand in between your and this, that. I remember. Everything's beautiful and the music is playing very. And then I tell the guy, you know, Marcus. Yeah. yeah. And then in the middle of that thing. Watch out, Nick. uh, There's like a a woman playing piano and she's playing a very typical like a beat Cuban, like what what, uh, a gringo might think of Cuban. Right. And then I tell her like, cut it. Uh, and then I get serious, right? And I, I remember. And and that shit was in, bro. It was, it was fucking dope, man. I I wish they would have uh, kept that element in the Miami one, bro. Because I just feel it. It's you connect with it, whether you're a chef or not. It's like, bro. It's anybody who's trying to do something creative. Uh, that's a Cuban American feels that in some way. I mean, they have to. They have to, right? They right. have to. You know. Yeah. I remember that. It's fun and it's all yeah, this, and yeah, then it's yeah. like, but it's not. But it's it's actually yeah. It's actually very like it's a very sad, real story. Yeah, and now and then and then and then the journey is I'm gonna take you now to see the real thing, right? Um, and then we would take you through that whole journey. But but I don't know, man. That's something I remember. I remember about. I was standing in the audience with Eileen, Andrade from Finca. Yeah, and I remember like. Uh, thinking like i'm you know i'm i'm gonna try my best to not be emotional here Mm. and that was like that i went to that right before my journey of uh a lot of things happened right like i i lost a ton of weight i changed my life completely that was the beginning of that journey that's why i remember it so vividly is that that uh the day before a couple days before is when i decided to take this journey right so I went to New York and I said, this is going to be my last stint of just like fucking off and doing whatever I wanted, right? Smoking. Um, I haven't touched a cigarette in four years. Mm. Um, 
You know, since I, then, then. Since then. Oh, wow. I lost 160 pounds Holy since shit, then. shit, dude. Yeah, 160 pounds since then. And that was the beginning of that story. Uh, that was it. And I remember standing in the audience and, and just being uh, within five feet of Eileen and just saying, like, you know, like, we live this every day. We're in New York. This is like a different group of people. And then seeing Eileen very emotional and me equally being very emotional, be like, okay, so we're good. We're in a safe space. Yeah. We're solid here. Yeah. And it was like, a, it, it, it will rock me to my core forever. Wow, no wonder, dude. Now that you say all of that, bro, no wonder that monologue had, had the impact that it did, bro. No wonder, bro. We got to talk about the losing weight shit because... I'm, I feel like I'm starting that journey too now, bro. And I've I've lost 40 pounds since I shot. Um, I know heels. I can tell, and that's yeah. amazing. Congrats, yeah, bro. I'm trying to get that shit going, but it's. I see. I see you putting in work. Well, here and there, bro. This last month, I fucked off a little bit, which I'm kind of down on myself about. But I got to get back on that horse, bro, because you know I just had a kid too, bro. Congrats. Yeah, <laughs> dog. Seven months, man. She's seven months old. Wow. I don't share it on socials because that shit can get weird and. I don't want people fucking like like the lead in our our show. You know, he's always trying to hide shit because people fucking, you know, they they want to see his kid and then they have their kid. You know, they po- post pictures of your kid and fucking it's weird. It's whack. So I've kind of kept that private, but but that's been huge for me, bro. Is just like trying to change, trying to build some healthy habits because when I was in New York, I was just work, work, work. You probably in the in the yeah. in the space you were in before 2017 or whatever it was. No, I mean like, my space in 2021 is pretty similar. Right, right. Yeah. But you learned how to mm-hmm. not because because I think what happened to me was I, I I fell into bad habits of like I work hard and I'm exhausted and then I go home and I fucking indulge, right. So, was, you know, I'm extreme, dude. We're Leos. So we found out oh, we're we fucking, are extreme. yeah, four or four. Exactly, dog. Well, I mean, it's like today I, I showed up to work at 9 a.m. Uh-huh. I'm still here now. Yeah. I had a trainer show up at 3 o'clock. I trained for 90 minutes in the middle of my day. I showered. I fucking went back to work. Like, I've, I find time for me to do the things that it keeps me and my equilibrium right. Hmm. And that's like, it's hard, right? Because in in my role, oftentimes what happens is people tell you all the things that are wrong, but they never ever ask you, like, how are you doing? Like, what what's your life like? Because when you're at the top of the totem pole, no, no one gives a fuck about mm-hmm. what you're doing, right? And I, And I would say in a lot of ways you've reached that thing that you're like you're at the top you're on a star show you're on broadway like all kinds of things of like writing your own play i mean people think you probably have it all figured out but at the same time we're human beings and we don't have it all figured out at all man you have to you have to carve out that time and that thing for you yeah and that's the reality of it I'm learning how to do that, man. And, and I forced – this is a funny story of the last 24 hours. Hmm. I was exhausted. I was in bed by 9.45 yesterday watching football, and all I wanted was to fucking go to 7-Eleven and buy Ben & Jerry's. That's all I wanted, <laughs> and I did not do it. I went to sleep, and I did right. not do it. 
<laughs> God bless you, dude. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like one of the simple things of just like I'm not yeah. gonna smoke this joint and then eat a fuck ton of Ben and Jerry's. I'm not gonna do it. You're not gonna, I'm gonna do go it. to bed, right? But you gotta make that decision, bro. I know, dude. I know. I know, man. I feel like I've gotten to that place where it's like it's it's now or never, bro. I gotta I gotta make that change now. Well, know? it's funny because you're 31. 31. That's when I made the change. Hmm. Something about that age, isn't it? 31. You know why? Because you feel like you just turned 30. Now you're in like, you're 31. It's like, I'm closer to 40. I'm dying. <laughs> I'm, I'm dying, almost dead. Dog. <laughs> Bro, I've been I've, dying I've, for two I'm years. Dead. I'm dead. <laughs> From 29, <laughs> I've been dying, dog. <laughs> at, at like 31, you're like, I'm dying. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. going to be 40 in no time. A hundred percent, bro. Fuck, I'm th- I just turned 36, and I'm like, I'm dying. <laughs> like, what's happening next? I <laughs> so, know, dude. I mean, I, I think viscerally, and, and it's like, um, also, like, my, my family's, like, my mom's side of the family's, like, very good. My dad's side of the family's, like, very overweight, very unhealthy, like, a lot of things. And I was like, I just don't want to be that. And, you know, like, one day, I would like to have what you have. I'd like to have kids. I'd like to have family and the whole thing. But I can't do that if I feel like shit. No, bro. You no. cannot. You cannot. Dude. No, you can't. You can't, man. And um, and then the thought of mortality seeps even more into your mind. Because mm-hmm. now I'm thinking, dude, I want to be here for a, a large portion of her life, you know. Mm-hmm. And whatever kids I have after her, so... I'm I'm just making those changes, bro. But they, you know, you have. I feel like sometimes you go two steps front and then step back, and that's that's I think where I'm at now. It's like, dude, I gotta reprogram that shit that I had maybe three months ago. You know, I'll tell you that the the reality though is that life will always take you two steps back. It's like how you react to those two steps back. It's like, okay, I took two steps back. Okay, I'm gonna reanalyze and I'm gonna reassess and I'm gonna move forward. Yeah, that's it. Like. I just opened Chugs, like, for three weeks, all I did was work, and all I did was care about, like, the um, the state of the situation. Oh, the boy. internal clock went off. Oh, man. She's got it down to a science. Cool. That's great. <laughs> I mean, um, like, that thing... I know I like I know it very well. It's like you cannot beat yourself up after like the first three to four weeks of chugs, like week of pre-opening, three weeks of opening. Like mm-hmm. it was a fucking it was rough and it was a lot. And it was like waking up at 6 a.m. and going to work. And, you know, I usually work out at 6 a.m. and all those kind of things like, OK, so here's the problem. It's not a problem. This is life. How do I reassess this part of life? And then what do I do? And I was like, okay, so I have two trainers and I do this. And I was okay, so now we need to just change the way life works. And that's what I did. You adjusted. You adjust. You have to, bro. You pivot. Yeah, 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 yeah. You do what makes sense for you because it's your life and what makes you feel comfortable. And then you just fucking do that thing. Yeah. With my shit, it's super similar, bro, because, like, I, you know, I I shot the show from September to april of 2021 and um that's one life right i I had i had a a schedule there i had a way of living there and then moving back here you know what i mean getting an apartment 
fucking now I have a baby. She's, you know, she when we first got back to Miami, she was, I think, two months old. So then it's it's constantly adjusting that schedule to fit what it is that I want, right? Right. And it's so much easier to be fucking fuck off and just like, ah, well, I'll go Soup. eat, you know, whatever the fuck I want. Or, or Uber Eats. And, yeah. Nah, bro, you got to set that shit down and, and be disciplined about it. The same way I am about writing or acting, I got to transfer that into my personal life. For sure. And that's been, that's been for me, I think, Th- This is why when, when I say, like, the world will always tell you their problems. And they will assess their problems towards you. And then that's the point that you say, listen, I get it. <laughs> what do I need? What do I need to do? Yeah. Like, I know my 90 minutes of training every day is very good for my mental health. Mm. Incredibly important for me to feel like I can crush every single fucking day because I boxed for fucking 60 minutes and then I trained for 30 minutes after that. Like, I know like that's going to set me up for success. And I'll be tired. But tired is a state of mind. Yeah, bro. I mean, and you, I- set, and you set up that state of mind. Mm-hmm. You do it yourself. So it's like, where do you want to put your energy, right? So, you know, you have a family, you have things. You, where do you want to put that energy? Yeah. It's like, do you want to put that energy into the world as in social media of some kind or all those things of some kind? Thanks, Case. Thank you. <laughs> Clutch. Or do you want to put it into the things that make you feel right? Yeah. And a lot of times... For me, people tell me that I'm, like, detached from the world. Like, no, I'm just taking care of me. You have to, bro. Got to, man. We were talking about anxiety, dude. I wonder, so the boxing and all that shit and the health side is is, is huge. And You know, like, I, I came from a world that I, I, wor- I did organized sports for 12 years of my life. Same. And being part of an organized sport that I'm not actually trying to do an organized sport. Like, you know, I boxed. I, I don't know if I've. Have I ever talked about when I boxed that 24-year-old kid? I don't know if you did it on the podcast. On the podcast? We, t- we talked about it. But yeah, I, I boxed I boxed a 20 I sparred a 24-year-old kid that's trying to be like a pro boxer. Oh shit. And um I mean it was a fight. Yeah. It was, it was a fight. It was a good fight. Um you know, after the fight I was I was bloodied and I was beaten, but I was ready to go. Really, dude? I was ready to go. And, like, after that, I was, like, I felt I felt alive. You know? And, and it's one of those things that I put myself... I know I'm not going to be a pro boxer. And I love boxing. It, it, it's, like, when you love it, you love it. But I feel like I love it because it made me understand something about myself that I didn't know previously. And, you know, like, that kid, I pushed that kid to the limit. And it's going to help him in his growth as trying to be a pro boxer like when did you start boxing just three and a half years ago okay so when you started to lose the weight you yeah, started yeah. boxing yeah i started as like fitness boxing and like cardio and the whole thing and then yeah yeah, yeah. because i'm like of i i i compete daily like i compete every day against my staff against my people against people around me like i it's just part of my nature yeah um it just became like something that I just do every day. Like I box every day. I watch boxing every day. Really? You oh, got yeah. You went fucking. Yeah, I went super in because it's just it helped me mentally to do something other than what I do 
95% of my life uh, ex- expelled my my mind somewhere else. I love that, man. I've been thinking about jujitsu, um, which could serve a similar purpose to what you just said, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. It's a discipline. It, it's a discipline. It, it, forget about, like, you're not trying to beat somebody. Yeah. You're going to be beaten. Right. You will be beaten. We're old, dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm older than you, but we're old. Yeah. We're not going to beat these kids trying to do this thing. Right. And I wish them the best. I hope that they're super successful and that they fucking break heads, you know? But at the same time, it's like, for us, it's a discipline that we learn that helps us in our life. Mm. And especially as being artists, Mm -hmm. right? I feel like I'm more of a craftsman. It's what I do. Like, you're an artist. I'm a craftsman. I could be a craftsman, I guess. For sure. And, and there's no doubt to that. And I can be an artist, but I consider yeah, myself a craftsman. I, I see. I see. I see what you're saying. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Th- there's a lot of, like, um, synonymous yeah. attributes to both. You're right. But at, at this age, like, I'm not going to be a pro boxer. I'm not going to be on prime time. And I know that. <laughs> you know, I've accepted yeah. that shit in my life. Yeah. But it's learning the discipline and learning the purity of that sport that helps you grow as a human being. And it and and I can guarantee you that it will help you in your profession too. Mm-hmm. It'll bleed into that, yeah, for yeah. sure. Like when I became, when I was boxing at my peak, which I broke my finger, so it it hurt my peak. Um, I was like at the best, food wise, because the discipline helps you discipline yourself elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you with a family and all those things, it'll help. It frees the mind a little bit, too, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's like 90 minutes of making sure you don't get your fucking face kicked in <laughs> right, will fucking right. help. Yeah. For sure. Exactly, dude. I remember after, it, like, that was probably six, seven weeks ago now. When I boxed that kid, is good kid. Uh, definitely not conditioned enough. But, uh, I mean, I was bloody. I was bloodied everywhere, you know? Yeah. Humbles you. And humbling is good. Well, dude, speaking of humbling, bro, I mean, I want to talk about that when you first started the boxing. And I think this is interesting to me because, like, as we're talking about it, right, the thing that automatically kicks in is, well, I'm going to fucking suck at it. Yeah, yeah. And being that you were already fucking far along in your career, you had gotten through that part, that time in your career where you're like, I'm going to suck at this and, and, it's, and it is what it is. But at 31 or whatever it was, you were 32, 33, whatever, to say, I'm going to take up this new thing. Yeah. That I'm going to look like a bitch doing this in the beginning. Yeah. And this guy's probably going to judge me or whatever. You you have all those fucking demons, you know, saying all kinds of shit. I know, but who's judging you? I know. It, it, at the end of the day, it's you judging you, right? right exactly. But my point is, is still those demons are in there. And so for you to take that step and be like, you know what? I'm going to fucking take this boxing class. Yeah. I might be out of shape, whatever. That's ballsy, bro. Yeah, I mean, but at the end of the day, it's like you are only fighting yourself to progress to somewhere else that you didn't know you could get to. Right. And that's and that's like a mental thing that you have to fight within you. And like for me, I fight that battle every day. You know, it's like um, I'm I'm not I'm not great at this. Like as a cook, you do a bunch of things every day that you're not perfect at. Mm. You are learning every single day. You're learning something new every single day. You're doing something that you're not an expert at. 
Because if you're a baker and that's what you dedicate your life to, that's what you dedicate your fucking life to. When you're a cook, you dedicate yourself to learning. That's the reality of it. Because cooking is nothing but learning. I, I mean, and I think maybe that's why I love it so much. But, like, man, I learn new shit every single fucking day. I sat down with my staff today and I said, what is it that you really love to do and what do you want to do? And they were like, well, I really want to do this. I'm like, I don't know shit about that. Let's do that. Let's do it. I don't give a fuck. I want to learn about it. Yeah. I want to get better at it. You can teach me something I never knew before. And that's just like very interesting and it's very humbling, right? Because I don't... I think that's why chefs fail. I think that's why humans fail. Because they don't humble themselves to understand like... You're not the best at everything, man. You're yeah. just not. Yeah, right, right. You're not. Like, right, you're not right. perfect. Humans, we are perfectly imperfect because we are surviving, we're breathing, we're living. But you're not perfect. We're perfectly imperfect. And food is perfectly imperfect. And I find, actually, the food that is perfectly imperfect has more soul and more realism than food that is perfect. Interesting. It's just, like, very weird stride to be perfect. That yeah. when you get there, it's sterile and just doesn't exist. I feel like music is like that, right? Oh, man, music. Don't yeah. even get me started there. No, I hear you, bro. Don't yeah. even get me started there. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. What kind of music do you listen to? Bro, I listen to everything. I've been on a kick of, like, 90s fucking rock, dude. Oh, so 90s rock, Dave, huh? Uh, Dave Matthews Band. Oh, man. That's my I've been shit. to 15 Dave Matthews concerts. Really, dude? Yeah, 15. I went to the last one they did. Uh, Me too. Really, bro? Yeah. Fuck on Friday. Up, I, went, I went to the Friday show. Yeah. I don't remember. I went what, to my first Dave I, show when I was 14. Wow, bro. Yeah. Such an incredible performer. Oh, he's a fucking beast. It was my first time seeing him live. And it was amazing, just like, fuck, dude, this guy sounds like yeah. he... Because sometimes you get let down by oh, bands. Oh, super like, let down. So Dave Matthews' band Incubus was, was big for me growing up, too. Oh, uh, Incubus. Yeah, Incubus. I love was Incubus, for me, man. Bro. Yeah, that I was mean, cool. early Incubus. They got a little weird at the end, and it's cool. Yeah, I, yeah, I, no, I, Drive. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, that, that song was fucking big. Have me. you ever heard Tab and Wah before? No. Uh, do your, how about uh, St. Paul and the Broken Bones? No, dude. Ah, uh, do yourself a favor. Damn, I gotta write those down. After, yeah, St. Paul and the Broken Bones. I yeah. saw them when they were like very small in Fort Lauderdale, uh-huh. and they had like. Um, you out here, dog? Yes, sir. Love you, dog. Love I'll you. see you tomorrow. Yes, sir. Uh, Thursday, Thursday. Thursday. Enjoy your day off. Yes, sir. Um, I saw St. Paul when they had one album and no one was listening to it. Uh-huh. In Fort Lauderdale, it was like maybe a hundred people there. Yeah. And man, they're so good. That's so good. Tab Benoit was like probably one of the best known artists out of New Orleans that no one really knows about. Okay. And he's in fucking credible. So I highly recommend them. I'll listen for sure, dude. For sure. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting cause I've been on a huge amnesty pick, uh, kick. You ever heard of amnesty before? Nah. Ah, oh, man. You You're got... turning me on to some shit tonight. It's what, I, it's what we try to do here on Panko <laughs> yeah, Podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's what we try to do. I dig it, bro. I'm, I'm texting all these names oh, to Robbie good, in good, real time. Good. Yeah, good. I love oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, I already got I love that. I got three texts here from Nick. Perfect, bro. <laughs> Thank you, dude. 
So, anyways. Yeah. So. Let, I, I want to talk about something. Okay. Have you, like, prospectively thought about the fact that you're on a star show? Have you, like, sat back? And I only ask this because now that I know that I'm older than you, I can I can pull the card. <laughs> but, like, have you have you sat back and, like, thought about perspective and and thought about, like, the ride to be on a star show? Probably not, bro. And, and I get that. Yeah, I yeah. feel that. Yeah, yeah. I feel that. I, I try to, right? Because I'm an introspective dude. Like I like I, I do that, and and every once in a while I check in with myself on that type of shit. But I probably it's too close right now where I can't sure. see it. You know what I mean? I can't really see it. Um, but there's 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 things about it. Like when I booked the gig, um, I was out to Atlanta a week later after I heard I, I booked it. A week later, I'm out to to um to Atlanta to shoot this thing, and um and I remember thinking back on the journey, bro, because I had to make a cross country uh, road trip with my girl. She was pregnant at the time. Oh man, I love and we're fucking doing cross country. Yeah, bro, rides. we went Miami to L.A. and then L.A. to Miami again. Um, uh, and I remember thinking about it, bro. I, I remember thinking about the journey, dude, and and um, it's fucking insane, dude. I. I so much of it is just being, I don't know, I hate saying luck, dude. Oh, but luck is when preparation meets opportunity, dog. It's it's that, dog. It's yeah. completely that, you know yeah. what I mean? But I felt it in my fucking, I, and I don't know, man, I felt like things were just going to work out, bro. I think back to myself being in New York, 21 years old, and just the balls on that dude, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Good for you. Not knowing anybody, bro. But I, I even speak about it as it's some other fucking guy because I, I don't I don't know if I and that's why it's a young man sport like taking those risks sometimes. Um I don't know if at thirty one I'd make the same decision, you know? To start something. Um to start something and not know anybody. I didn't know anyone in New York when I moved, bro. You know? I mean, but there there's a lot of power in that. No doubt, dude. You are you who you wanna be. No doubt, bro. You know, like, when I moved to Virginia at 18 to go to college to play football, like, I was the only Cuban kid in Virginia, in bumfuck Virginia that it wasn't even, like, the cool part of Virginia because that does exist. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it was like, uh, it was a crazy experience, and that molded a lot of my life. It really did. Yeah. The, the shit that I did there for four years and what I learned there, that's the first time I worked in an actual restaurant is when I moved there. Wow. I, and at that point, you didn't know that you wanted to do the chef thing? No. You did? Oh, I had no idea. You had no idea. Wow. No idea. I was a waiter, bar back, bartender, bar manager, expediter, dishwasher, all kinds of things. Is that is that how it usually works for no. chefs or no? Okay. No. So I mean, there's, start- two, there's two like paths for chefs. Which is the kids that, like, structure themselves behind Grand Ackets and they're like, I want to be this very structured thing and I want to do this thing. But I'm a pirate. That's what I tell, that's what I tell my staffs. I was yeah. like, we're a bunch of fucking pirates. Uh-huh. And we're on a fucking pirate ship. It's like, who wants to be the best on the fucking pirate ship? <laughs> <laughs> that's really the reality of it. Yeah, yeah It's yeah. like... 
I don't do structure super well in the kitchen. Like the day to day, I do structure well, but when it comes to like emotions and the thing and the whole thing, like I don't do that well. What I do well is like, what do you feel? Let's fucking ride with that. <laughs> you feel a thing? Let's ride with it. That's what makes you an artist, bro. I guess. Because the craftsman doesn't think like that, right? Yeah, but the craftsman still wants that, like, pasta dough to be a thing. They still want that. Well, you got to have both, yeah. But, yeah, I mean. But I mean that, that the artist side of you is the one that's like, you feel that? Let's go with that. I mean, I, and but I think that's what makes things great because that's what makes them feel. No doubt, dude. That's what makes them feel. I, I don't know. I don't know any other way to be. This is more like a prompt for both of you to kind of bounce off of each other. I'm interested, as an outsider to both worlds, how each of you sees what those words mean, right? Like the artist and the craftsman in acting and in food. I have my own ideas in my own frame of reference, but I wonder how you see those distinctions. That's another thing that we talked a bit about with Ricardo. Um, but I wonder how you see the interplay of those two things because there's a craft sure. and there's an art to both of those things you want to go first no no you go first okay. because i'm i'm very intrigued of the craftsmanship of what you do you did, yeah um i'll give an example so i went to one of my friends is at juilliard and i went to visit uh juilliard and i saw all these amazing actors who were technically Amazing, right? Technically, bro, they are fucking beasts, right? Sure. And I saw the play because they so they had us see all the the classes, and then at the end, the senior class was doing a play, and I saw this play, and they were all technically fucking amazing, but I didn't feel shit, right? Right. I didn't feel anything, bro. And I think for me, I don't know, I craftsman, yeah. Uh, I, I think of it in acting as the technique, right? You're good at, at, at the technique of acting. It's the same both ways. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we're on the same page. And then, you know, my kind of actor and why Brando was, to me, fucking God, is that motherfucker made you feel something, dude. Yeah, he did. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he made you feel something because he was feeling something. Mm -hmm. It wasn't some made-up shit. It was things that he was pulling up from his fucking, his own life. And so for me, that that's the that's the distinction in in the acting world is, yes, you might be technically sound and you might be a fucking great craftsman, but can you make me feel something? Is where I where I make that distinction. I feel like I, we just spoke on music real quick, right? Yeah. Like I feel music so hard because I think craftsmanship and feeling and music is like pretty hand in hand, like. If you are a craftsman and you are like a viscerally emotional musician, like you can feel that, mm -hmm. right? It's incredibly difficult to feel it on the other end. Actors, and I get you 100%, like technically sound actors, they can do the things and they do all the motions and they do all the prompts super well. But do I understand what you're saying? Probably not really, right? When it comes to food, uh, and it's just like what I do, so like I, I, I feel it so hard. Like I can tell you, like you're just trying to be like someone else. 
you're not like I, I still don't know who you are. I still don't know the story you're trying to tell. I still don't know this thing, what it means to you. And for me, like I never wanted to leave a doubt. Like when I um when I create, when I think about food, when I like when I'm in my moment, which I feel like now is actually rare in my moment because like when I was in my younger years the moment was more of it like it was more common like it was why do you more... think that is dude because my job has changed huh I'm an architect as opposed to just a creator I'm an architect of things of people of lives of wow. conceptions of it's a that's lot that's big bro that's big what you just said there yeah but like that moment like I hear Benny Moray in the background I hear Celia Cruz in the background. I hear my grandparents in the background. And for me, that's emotion. That's real craftsmanship. But the art is there. Like I'm telling you a story. I'm 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 extending a hand to you to understand who I am. And it's not common. It's not it's not like a a very normal experience. It's not like a and for the regular diner it's not it's not every day. And that's why I would say that for stage acting as opposed to film acting, stage acting is much more like visceral of experience. Like I can touch you. Yeah. Because the people that are there want to be there. Right? Yeah. The people that just have a show on, they just have a show on. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it's the same experience as like someone that just wants like a, like a chicken salad. This is so. This is a thing for me, right? <laughs> right now, they just want a chicken salad, or they want to understand why this chicken salad is on the menu. <laughs> okay. You know, like, why is this chicken salad on the menu? Why is this egg salad on the menu? Because growing up, I went to Versailles or La Cajeta or whatever, and I would have this chicken salad with a bunch of shitty accoutrements around it, uh-huh. and. I was like, I don't want shitty accoutrements. I want this beautiful accoutrements. And I want it to be, like, tasty and seasoned and delicious. Um, and that's me telling you a story of, like, what I really wanted out of life. What I, like, what I feel like this Cuban-American experience of, like, all these experiences I had that I feel like I can do better really are. Or Ariette's experience of, like, I'm telling you a story of, like, struggle and progress. And um, my people weren't allowed to think for 60 years. If they were allowed to think, this is maybe what they would have done. Mm. It's a much bigger story, you know? So, you, dude, you just explained that the question I had earlier of how do you express all your emotions through what you do i i am i right nick right it's i like- I, I think um and I, I i was gonna say i hate to i don't hate to because he says a lot of good shit ricardo to keep referring to ricardo in this conversation <laughs> ah, uh, i mean he's a legend and, yeah. and also it for you it might be news because i guess you don't remember anything that we talked about i remember nothing <laughs> so ricardo said a couple of things that i think were pertinent to what you guys were talking about and robbie maybe you have things to say about this uh uh, but some of what Mike was saying brought it to mind. 
one of the one of those things was Ricardo saying that um, art is a reflection on ideas and emotion at the same time. So the example he uses in the in that interview that we did in the conversation we had was because uh, Ricardo, being Ricardo, he tries to relate it to what Mike does. Right? He says, "I would like to taste a dish." That's a reflection on remembered bitterness, right? You can you can be bitter in the moment, but what about that bitterness that you remember from the past? That you're not bitter now, but you're remembering when you were bitter. And what does that look like in a plate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so this idea of reflecting on emotions and ideas and having art, and this was part of, a lot of that conversation was about Latin American art being distinct from the rest of the world or from at least European art in that. It was very philosophical rather than uh, expressing necessarily other things. Um, and the other thing that he said that I think touches on a lot of what you're talking about, right? And, and, and an overlap with this idea of what it is to say be Cuban-American or maybe have like a cultural tradition is um, the idea of art as being a dialogue not with the audience, but with your tradition. And the audience just happens to be there to listen in so he talks about like when i'm writing sonnets right yeah i'm having a dialogue with the centuries of sonneteers who came before me and i wouldn't be having the conversation if everybody if i didn't want people to read it but i'm not talking to them i'm talking to the sonneteers maybe you're talking to brando maybe you're talking to la palma and you're talking to norman you're talking to to the you're you're having a dialogue with your tradition and yeah you're only having it hoping that people will listen in, but you're not talking to them. You're talking to your tradition. Wow, yeah, dude, that, that, I had never thought about it that way, bro. I live and die by a quote. A man who wants to lead the orchestra must turn his back to the crowd. It's kind of what Ricardo's talking about, right? Yeah, like, exactly. You're leading yeah. the orchestra because you want to have a conversation with the people who, you know, whether it's that they've inspired you or they informed you, but I wonder if that's if that resonates with you and someone. Dude, I mean, it's literally the quote I look at yeah. every morning wow, when I wake bro. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That because shit, yeah. Be, because the crowd wants a thing. Mm-hmm. They want you to be like the jovial guy, the thing, mm-hmm. the one that's on like Disney Plus, the one that's like <laughs> on all kinds of things that are like. On Enjo- heels, on stars. <laughs> on, that's enjoyable to listen to. Yeah. You don't have a lot of, like, texture. You don't have a lot of context. For me, they want me to be like, cool, I'm okay with being, like, I love being the, on the top 10 Benedict's list of Miami. I'm cool with being on top 10 happy hours of whatever. I can give zero fucks about any of that stuff. Do you understand... The story I'm trying to tell. Do you understand who I am? Do you understand who we are? Do you understand? I mean, for me, it's like a city thing too, right? Like, do you understand what Miami is going through? The growing pains that we're going through on on a food process, on a human process. Because there's a lot of people our age. There's a lot of people within that 27 to 40 bracket that are trying to make a difference. Do they understand that? Do they want to adopt that? Do they want to tell that story? Often not. 
that's why we do this fucking podcast for fuck's sake. Right. Because, I, I mean, in reality, that's why we do this. Mm-hmm. Tell the story of Robbie. Tell the story of so many other people. Well, let's, get, let's get the story of Robbie. We're, I mean, we've gotten the story of Robbie. <laughs> I just asked him a question. You just fucking jumped in. All right. I'm with your fucking, no, with no, the, no, with no. the fucking quote on your phone. Don't have a fucking It's off. a good quote. It fuck is fuck a good fucking quote. Don't worry. This is not half the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah, bro. Uh, so, Robbie, what do you think of dialoguing with your tradition? Let me show you a quote on my phone, motherfuckers. Nah, that's what's beautiful about the pod, dog. That's what's fucking. <laughs> that's what makes it possible. You can find us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Mag. Get your mugs for 15 bucks a month. Join the Abuela Mami tier for a bag of coffee shipped to you every month. I'll give you a bag of coffee. Oh, baby. Uh, bro, two things. One is. <laughs> yeah, two things. One is you bring up um, uh, our age bracket. I think one of the fucking coolest things right now is we're starting to see people like you. You brought up Eileen earlier, Andrade. These are people who I, I throw Eddie Fuentes in there, who's uh, from Spanglish. He's my boy, bro. We, oh yeah, that's where we did the reading last night, and uh, it's these people who are in our similar age bracket that are doing fucking cool shit, bro, and new shit, and they're bringing our vibe to to whatever it is that they're doing, and then. Speaking on, on what you were talking about, Nick, I think of writing. Uh, I think writing is what comes up to mind. Uh, you know, writing the play about my grandfather, and thinking about it instead of like, how do I please this audience? But how do I stay truthful to not just my grandfather, but all the other people who went through what he went through, right? Including the people who were in the revolution. You know what I mean? Like, how to be be truthful to those lives, even though, you know. Um, we might disagree with them or, or we, we, you know, in a lot of ways we fucking hate those people that did those things to our... our yeah, but they our were family. led in the wrong direction and, you know, there's a lot of reasons. Exactly, bro. Exactly. And the play does take take uh, those questions into mind. So, for me, bro, that's fucking... That's great, dude. I'm going to listen back on the podcast and, and listen to what you just said, Nick, that, that Paul said. Because um, I want to start thinking about my work more more through that lens, you know what I mean? Instead of through the lens of how do I, how do I please people? How do they? But that's the easy. That's the easy get, right? Like, how do we please people? Yeah, right. It, right. I, I say it. I've said it so many times. It's the burrata salad. The burrata salad for me is the people pleaser. It's what um, people want. It's what they do. They'll order it every time, and I can give zero fucks about that fucking <laughs> salad because it means absolutely nothing to me. You know what about that, though, uh, is that when I went to Chugs, and this is a real ass shit, I went to Chugs. I've been eating panko bite my whole fucking life. Right. Right? So I get to Chugs, and I, and I ask the guy, I say, uh, you know, what do you recommend between the sandwiches? And he said, the panko bite. And I said, oh, you know, I, I don't know exactly what I asked, but he, he said that the steak was different than what yeah. I'd be used to. Right. And I said, fuck it, man. I'll give it a try, dude. You know, I usually, being in New York and all this shit, people say pan con bite, and it's not a fucking pan con bite. You know right. what I mean? So I'm expecting to not like this shit. I'm like, I <laughs> might not like this shit. I'm a picky eater, too, bro. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. I love dog. you. I'm picky as fuck, right? I love so, that. So I'm, I'm waiting for this, and, and it comes out, bro. And, and, and like I told you earlier, bro, I fucking loved it, dude. I love loved that. it to the point where... 
you you told me to come for dinner. I want to come for lunch because that's when when the sandwiches are. I don't know if for dinner. No, they they're they're all okay. The time. They're all there. Okay, dope, all the time. Dope, dope. But, We're a diner, right? But it's yeah, bro. You you're definitely doing that with all the food that that you're making and and the restaurants that you're doing, bro. But you know, like the the idea of a lot of that is melding that Cuban and American culture together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can have a pangobite that's modeled after a roast beef, which I love. Also modeled after a French dip, which I love. And it's still very meaningful to people like us. And to me, that's a beautiful thing. Like, that's to me, like, the entire purpose of what I do is to tell you and to tell myself, like, we have a place here. Mm. We have a place. We have made our place. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the best Pangbite. I give zero fucks about that fight. <laughs> that fight, like, y'all can keep it. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. And I love you guys for fighting that fight. That's cool. But this is my story to y'all. Yeah, bro. Like... My story to you guys is like I love this shit because I was born and raised here, but I love this shit because also like us as Cubans, we love this bangubite yeah. tradition, <laughs> which I still go to Mary's all the time, uh-huh, and I still have the uh-huh. bangubite there, and I the fucking love it. Right, right, right. And I can go at all hours of the day, and I'll still eat it, and it's fucking delicious. But this is my interpretation of that. Yeah. Tradition can be changed. You know why? Because we are not. We have changed, man. We have changed. As humans, we have changed. As a culture, we have changed. There is no tradition to our culture right now. We are we are expediting that tradition. Hmm. We are creating that tradition. We are the tradition. We are the architects of that tradition. So, like, people like Avian and Roberto at Caja China and, like, what they're doing and keeping that tradition alive and, like, modernizing it for the, for the world, not just for the country, but for the world, is huge. Yeah. You know, like, when, that's why I just did the Ludicant Cook. For everyone that has Discovery Plus, if you want to watch Ludicant Cook and see myself and Avian cooking with oh, shit, Ludicrous. Okay, yeah. okay teaching him how to make a kachina that was the whole purpose of that right to introduce that culture and that like simplicity of like who we are and what we do to the world yeah like that's it and i did it with a guy that i've known since i was fucking 13 and i love that i love that and we did it in my restaurant we did it with you know people that i love like that to me is what what legacy talking about mm-hmm. what we talked about earlier touching on what we talked about earlier that's what it ma- that like that's what it means yeah we're we're retelling a story we're reinventing a story because at the same time our people that have been there for 60 years are still not free but we are so we can say and do whatever the fuck we want because we have that freedom to do that cuz people sacrifice a ton so we can do it exactly bro so we can do it and it's like how you do with your writing how you do with your fucking performing it's the same thing like for me I put it on a plate every day every day are you thinking about taking shit past like 
Miami, or are you, are you thinking about? I don't know. It's like a it's a money move, and that's like yeah. a. But is it a, is it a is it a goal of yours or not really? I don't You're know. You're cool with it being down here, and and you just serving. I don't know. The community here. I have no you idea. Haven't thought about. Like, um, people ask me that a lot, and I love that idea. But at the same time, it's like it means so much more here. I hear you, and and I think that, uh, but there's something to be said about. I'll, I'll I'll relay it to me. So I wrote this play about my grandfather. I want to do it in Miami. That's where I want to. Right? I, want, I want you to fucking, do it in Miami. Yeah. So that's the sign goal. me up. Where but, can I buy a ticket? Yeah. But, Everyone, buy your tickets here on Patreon. <laughs> Yeah, we need investors actually. So uh, the Patreon Ladies guys. Gentlemen, that's not how we need Patreon investors. Works. Uh, <laughs> how much money are we, we trying to raise? Minimum to do it the right way, fifty G's. Fifty grand. Yeah. Oh come on. What, Gotta give me a bigger small? number than that. Really? Yeah, fifty grand to do it the right way. To do it the right. Well, no, 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 no. Sorry, 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 sorry. You're right. Let me rephrase that. To do it the right way, a hundred would be nice. Okay. But enough to do it. And and do it justice fifty, um, but but my thing about that was, I have it in my fucking head that I want to make it because the play takes place in a Cuban prison and then in a nineteen sixties American radio station. So in my head, I want it to be in Spanish when it needs to be in Spanish, and then in English when it needs to be in English. I love this. Okay, now. I want to do that here, like have that like Spanish when it's Spanish, English when it's in, and I think we can do that here. I, I think that the message of the play needs to be told to American audiences in right. specific, sure, because there's there's shit that they just don't understand. It goes back to what we were talking about. They'll never, but I know they'll never know, understand bro. it. I know, dude. Because you know I, what? At the end of the day, both you. Myself and Nick boil down to a Cuban sandwich. Ah, I know. Yeah, but, what, there, but there's, I mean, and, and I don't, I never really talked to you about this, yeah. Robbie. Um, but I think Amparo, and to a certain degree, what you do, Mike, and various things that I've done, like, like, yeah, there are people that you could say that about, but you have to sift through them to find those other people who are receptive. And I'm sure through Amparo, you had probably personal interactions with people that you maybe could have made that assumption about. And then once they were, in, maybe because their Cuban friend brought them. Yeah. And then their their eyes were open to a thing, you know. I, I remember specifically Jewish people that, that were coming to the show, bro. Like, See, uh, he's, I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> he's, he's laughing. Play. No, he's laughing because I've been sending him texts for an hour of like notes like, Hey, maybe we should talk about the show he's on. <laughs> maybe we nah, should talk dog, about this. No, I'd much rather like, this, I don't bro. Know. Fuck that. No, 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 no. We can always do a part Nick, two. Part, part two. <laughs> like hot shots, part I just, two. You know, I, I also, dude, I will say I, I asked some questions. I baited him into No, some I, know, shit. I know. And it's because I, I want to know about After a long too. day when you bait me into things, like you're going to get all of it. <laughs> yeah, no. exactly. You're going to get all of it. No, if he had the guy, I asked you a question and he started answering. <laughs> right, right. I'm gonna fuck Nick. Take my mic. This is I'm out. this is dropping character with Robbie yeah, Ramos. Do you want to cut off your mic again? Yeah. Well, we so we did a uh, at the time we're recording this. This has not been released, but there is a we recorded a live episode where we had an audience of sixty people. Okay. 
and Mike made some questionable decisions, oh, okay. and I cut off his microphone. I didn't oh. make questionable decisions. Oh, you I did. made the right, right no. decisions. But are, are we going to air the full thing without it's, you editing it? I'm going to edit it. It's going to be a nightmare edit, to edit, and it's going to be a nightmare to listen to. It's going to oh be fucking God. amazing. Well, I want to hear about this shit after this. Cause yeah, I, I mean, that's cool. Yeah, that's fine. I mean... I'm going to stop answering Robbie's questions. <laughs> Most of what you're asking. <laughs> nah, like I said, man, I baited you into some of those, bro. I, uh... <laughs> I, I, I really do think that um, we, can, we, we can talk about the star show. No, listen. It's, no, it's, no, it's, no. It, it's, a good, it's a great show. Honestly, that, that, that was mostly me trying to, like, Get you to ask a question instead no, it's, of monologuing it's about your salmon roulette. To, it's because he wants to tag stars because we're in this. Oh, like, I already uh, tagged stars. I know. Oh, I saw it already happened. We're in this hard search for um, um, trying sponsors. to get that advertising money. Yeah, info, oh, info at DaveMag.com. I would like to say that I don't know much about what you're trying to do, but I will invest into what you're trying to do. I will say it. Okay. Thanks, Casey, for all those okay. drinks you've been bringing. Over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank, yeah. Thank right. Casey, thank you so no, much. No, I, I will. Okay. I and I, and because, for me, like money is just a uh, a thing to make to bring the community up. It, not me. Like I, like I, I came from very little. I'm used to little. Like. I would invest into it, me personally, and a lot of other people would too. Yeah, like I, I cook for very influential Cuban people all the time, and they believe in a lot of the shit that we're talking about. Yeah, they do. You just got to be in, in front of the right audience. A hundred percent, bro. All the time. Right. And it's like. Good stories don't make a ton of money. They don't. Like, my story doesn't make a ton of money. It makes money, but not a ton. Mm-hmm. It would be cuter if it was, like, Salt Bay or Dave Grutman <laughs> or Mila or all the other fucking bullshit that's out there. The $1,000 steak, a poppy steak that comes out in a briefcase. Throwing papitas on the panko bite like that, dog. Right. Do like, all types of shit with you. All those things. Yeah. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm much more about, like, the what matters. Yeah. Right? And I I believe in shit like that. Just yeah. like I believe in my own shit. Like I believe in like I believe in shit like that because that's what will keep the story going. And the longer we keep the story going, just like Rosa Maria does her thing, we do our thing through our own dynamic. Yeah. And that's what well rounds the conversation. Yeah. And I think at the core of it, we're all telling the same story. I mean, the core message of the story is the same, you know. Like without a doubt. Yeah, yeah without a doubt. 100%. Like yeah. with without a doubt. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't know, man. He's fucking. He's, he's <laughs> I feel like you you had this like your your face looked like your brain almost short circuited. <laughs> oh, I know it did. Like, it has my brain is short circuiting so many times oh, today. Man, that was good. So many times. Why are you doing that that way? Why don't you do it this way? Short circuit brain. But I don't know. Through so many different dynamics, we're telling the same story. 
Mm-hmm. 100%, man. So, what's next? I think that's for you, Robbie. Yeah, what's next? <laughs> that's definitely what's next. <laughs> I am sitting down with Vicky and Vanessa. Oh, great humans. Uh-huh, great, other great humans. They're in the vault. We haven't released that. Should uh-huh. we release it just for fun? No? No. No? No, because no. No, I remember what that was. Not, not that there was anything provocative, but I think if you heard it again, it's stuff that is really more for yourself. Should I hear it again? I mean, it probably doesn't hurt. Fuck it, who cares? I mean, it, yeah, it, it's, it was really not a conversation had for public consumption. Huh. I kind of love so that. This, what the people want to hear, bro. I kind of love that. The, well, the, what I mean by that is the whole thing was about this, like, idea you had in your head for a service or a restaurant or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something, maybe, like, if we came close to that happening or some sure. version of it, mm. and then we put it out there. But I think, it, I, I don't know, to, to me personally, you can do whatever you want with it. You have access to it, so you can do whatever you want. But to me personally, I think to put it out now so far from it being a thing somebody might, might steal it no not only not, not even that just more like it might only serve to affect the path in a way you don't want to i feel about people stealing things because people steal my things all the time yeah is that i'm still gonna do better what did they steal right i'm not gonna get into that <laughs> they can't make it like you they can't uh there's something unique well about because you for that, me yeah. it's not like a function of making money for me, it's a function of feeling. Yeah. So I'll do it better. Right. I like recipes. You want to steal my recipe? Cool. Mm. I still do it better. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a meaning. There's like a purpose. I need that Bedran's uh, bacon <laughs> recipe. Bacon. That's what I need, bro. You know, like funny story about Beltran's bacon. Um, my corporate chef now, which is a very dear friend, which we are going to open a restaurant with very soon. This is who? Uh, Phil Bryant and Veronica Valdivia. Um, he taught me how to make that bacon. Mm. The was, exact way it is, he taught you how to. So in in a lot of ways, yeah. Okay. Not I wouldn't say the exact, but like in a lot of ways, right? But that's what I mean. Like, you know, you learn things along the way, you adapt them to your own thing, and you you do them. Yeah, it's a little bit of that a conversation with your tradition, right? I, I mean. It's very, like, lateral in the sense that you're not that far apart in age. We're not talking about somebody who wrote a 200-year-old cookbook, but you're have your Beltran's bacon is a conversation with Phil Bryant's bacon. Yeah, and I mean, and wherever I, he I, got that from, too, right? Right. right. So it, yeah. it, it, and yeah. and and I, and I love that because like I love him very much, and he's incredibly talented, and he taught me so much, and like before he worked with us. I obviously worked without him and like I just adapted that to different applications and it was like um, it's a tradition that's been carried on and carried on and carried on. Now he just works within the company making sure that people don't suck. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's hard. So, you know, I find that incredibly intriguing. Intriguing. Yeah. All right. So Wait, what's, what's next for Robbie? Well, what's to finish next what I was saying because I left a little cliffhanger there with Vic and Vani. Yeah. Um, put together a budget, bro. These are things that that I've you know I haven't had to think about up until now. But 
to really put on this play, which uh, is my goal, bro. It's my biggest thing right now that I'm focusing on is coming up with a budget that has all the elements to it that 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 uh, you need in there to kind of explain why we're spending this money, and then fucking do this play here, man. 2022. Does Bacardi not want to be involved? We haven't reached out to Bacardi yet. But oh no. No, 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 because I've been Shocker. just writing the play, making sure that the fucking bacon is right, right? I'm trying to make sure the Gotta shit... Gotta make sure the bacon is right, brother. Before I... <laughs> well, I see that he's getting a little free ad space from us. This is us uh, giving back to Cuba. They're uh, getting all the love they deserve. That's right. So they gave us some talking points here. I'm going to read them, but yeah. we're going to do a little bit of riffing. All right, yeah, cool. You read them, though. Did you know, Michael... That the last free and fair elections in Cuba were held more than 70 years ago? That's one of the least shocking statements I've ever heard. Too many years. Yeah. Cuba wants to change. Cubans deserve to be free citizens with equal opportunities for all. Cuba Decide is a citizen initiative that is working toward a prosperous and happy Cuba where all citizens are equal under the law and have equal access to opportunities for improvement, a democracy in which our right to choose and be chosen is respected. Mike, you, we had Rosa Maria Payá, uh, founder of Cuba Decide, on the podcast. Um, you know, and, and it's a topic, obviously, that uh, is, is important to the two of us. And you had a lot to say about uh, how the being denied those rights all this time plays into your mission uh, sure. with Ariette and Chugs. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the fact that we haven't as I think a community, as a culture, as being Cubans and Cuban-Americans, the fact that we haven't had an opportunity to grow, haven't had the opportunity to progress and to be really who we are, has really shaped a lot of what I decided to, like, my personal mission to be. And meeting people like Rosa Maria and, like, several others like her in this process have nothing but uh, solidified that, that goal for me. And to know that I think one thing... I think it, it also happens a lot in our like in our age group, um, feeling like you're alone in that process, feeling like that you you're the only one that kind of feels uh, I guess a sense of being lost um, because you don't really know where you came from, why you're here, all those things. But in reality, there's other people living the same kind of life, and not only living that life, fighting to change right. what history has. Um, but just kind of made it to be so, right? Because right. it's like 70 plus years without free election. After a while, people just forget that there was ever a free election and that things should be a certain way. And there's other people fighting that fight to make sure that this doesn't stay that way. Right. So like you said, there are people who are fighting to make sure that it doesn't stay that way. And that's one of the kind of, uh, not a paradox, but one of the contradictions, right, that we've been shaped by this reality that none of us want to see continue. Right. Uh, so Cuba is a wide initiative that includes Cubans on the island and around the world, along with international friends who together work tirelessly to achieve a peaceful change. They fight for a democratic Cuba and are closer than ever to achieving that goal. So what's the strategy? It's the peaceful mobilization of Cubans and the international community, putting pressure so that the people can live in a democratic system and be free. You can follow Cuba Decide. That's Cuba Decide. It means Cuba decides in, in Spanish. Cuba Decide in all social media platforms at Cuba Decide. That's Cuba, D-E-C-I-D-E, Cuba Decide, Cuba Decide. To learn more 
or join Cuba Decide and donate at cubadecide.org slash donations. The funds raised go to train promoters, recharge cell phones, meaning uh, to keep cell phones active and connected to the Internet, uh, produce promotional materials on the island, generate international support, and much more. So go to cubadecide.org slash donations. If you put Pan Kong Podcast in the memo field in the, dona in the donations, that will signal to them that that money should go to keeping phones in Cuba connected to uh, the Internet. This episode of Pan Kong Pasta is brought to you by Pig Ink Apparel. Pig Ink Apparel was started in 2012. 2012. Okay. It's, it's a, that's an actual statement. It was started in okay. 2012. Um, I was sitting at a bar having a drink, and then I drew this like logo very poorly on a napkin, and I drew a name on a napkin. And the entire purpose of uh, starting this apparel line uh, was because when my family came here from Cuba, the uh, what sustained them financially was making clothes. Okay. So my grandmother, she's a G and like a super hustler. And she got on consignment, like a thousand yards of jean. And she bought, she made a deal with a friend. Uh, her and my grand grandfather made a deal with a friend to like pay off the sewing machine. And then they put it in their house. And my uh, aunt, uncle and mother with my grandparents started sewing jeans. And then they started selling said jeans. And then from that company, Um, my grandmother started a company with my father called H&D Fashions. And we did textiles forever, um, 25 plus years until sadly the company closed. We had um, two factories in the Dominican Republic and one here in Miami. And that's really what sustained my like childhood. I grew up in, um, in clothing factories my entire life. You know, like it's a very interesting place to be in. It's like these weird like gigantic shelves of just huge rolls of fabric and then these gigantic uh tables of uh ladies cutting shirts and then going from one place to the next and then going all the way down this like conveyor belt to like the ones that would sew it and then they would sew it and then they would print it and they would do the whole thing and it's just like what i grew up with so it was a small thing that in 2012 uh which i had no business doing because i had like zero money to actually make it like an actual thing Um, I was like, you know, I just want to come up with some like cool designs that are lifestyle, food oriented, chef oriented that aren't so chachi. And um, you see a lot of the chachi food stuff like uh, your radishes are wild. Like we, we don't do stuff like that. So, you know, we're making like a hard comeback. Our um, um, my partners and I have decided to reinvigorate the brand and bring it back our logo lives on within our hospitality company and uh obviously through the merchandise line and we just dropped our website within the last three weeks and we have some great designs that some local guys helped me do um they're all i think super dope and you know it ranges everything from like work shirts um when i say work shirts it's actually the shirts that my staff wears to work to you know cooler designs and nicer fabrics and nicer shirts that you can wear out and kind of like hang out in for mm -hmm. the day but you know pig ink has always been like a passion project for me um it's always been something that's never been for money or whatever it's more of just like the story and i think it's cool and i think it's fun 
And um, there's a way to help people within the process, too. And I think that, you know, what we're doing with Cuba Decide and what we've done with other people in the past and probably what we'll continue to do in the future with donating to charities. And um, overall, I, I think it's I think it's a cool thing. Good shit. So when pigs fly, MIA.com, that's where you get all of that stuff. Do you have like a personal favorite item? If you could only have one. I honestly you only have one for yourself. I, I mean, I think it's because I'm super biased because I love the original Ariette shirt. So the new shirt that we're dropping for, um, you know, Cuba de Cida is probably my favorite one that I wear the most. Um, so I think that that's super dope. Um, the Reservoir Pigs one is like very cool, too. I'm a big fan of the hats, like the beanie I'm wearing right now. Um, you know. I like very simple like yeah. designs, so I don't like. There's, it's never going to be a lot of lot of things happening. It's usually pretty simple, but yeah, I would say those are my favorite things. The dad hats are my favorite. Like the khaki, okay. the khaki dad hat is khaki like is super dope. Yeah, um, the jersey has been in a rap video. Yeah, I mean the jersey is so very that. cool. The the area jersey, the Chugs varsity jacket. Is also very dope. Um, there's really not many of those, but uh, they will be going to reprint soon. So, you know, I mean, it's really like, I feel terrible saying this, but it's like pretty much everything I wear every day. So I like them all. Right. Yeah. All right. WhenPigsFlyMIA.com. That's it. Go buy some shit. Go give Mike all your money. Yeah. All of it. Very good. Yeah. Hey, this is Nick popping in front of the camera for a moment um, to give you an explanation of what got cut here and why the rest of this podcast might feel like it lacks context. That's because it does. So at this point in the podcast or at this point in the interview, Mike asked Robbie a question that led to uh, a loud, heated argument between Mike and me. Robbie became sort of a spectator. I thought it was maybe 15 minutes because I'm weird. It was like a solid 40 to 45 minutes of me and Mike yelling at each other and all that is cut out. Not because we don't want you to see us yelling at each other, but rather uh, because the subject matter and some of the things that were said in this argument could have negative consequences to uh, certain people's businesses. So I'm going to leave it that vague trying to strike a balance here between being transparent about why this sounds so weird and what got cut out because we're usually not in the habit of really cutting anything out of this podcast other than like bathroom breaks. Um, but also, unfortunately, not getting into what it is that you're missing out on. So right here, <laughs> what you'll hear is the point where we decided we've been at this for long enough. Let's do our wind down of the podcast and Robbie kind of like recovering from uh, the spectacle that we had just put in front of him. So that's it. Uh, and there you go. Uh, more Pancom podcast weirdness. Yeah. Bros, this is fucking fire, dude. I, I will say this, man. I will say this. Fucking great performances from the both of you, dude. I, uh, I, I got to bounce. You think you though, can get us uh, gigs on heels? <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure I can get this motherfucker uh, a gig on heels. We can do some shit with you, too. But yeah, I can be an extra. A little extra. more intellectual. But I'll be it's an fucking, extra. It's okay. But it's, no, I don't know. It's dope. 
<laughs> when he brought up the Cuba shit, I saw some of that wrestler shit from fucking Nick. Good for you. <laughs> but I will say this, dude. I think don't. I mean, you can edit this as much as you want. Yeah, but yeah, we this won't. is also no. This is fucking great, bro. And 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 can and, we do a quick lightning round? No, fuck no. I gotta go. <laughs> all right, look, cool. I get it. But I, get it. I will say this. That's dude. all good. No, no, no. But it was cool to fucking listen to this shit. And I think that's why we're in this fucking country. We can get yeah. as passionate as yeah. we are about it and still fucking talk. Yeah. But I, I love you great. guys, dude. And this is fucking great. <laughs> I, I swear to God, dude, that I'm not fucking. No, no, no. Any, I'm like, fuck it. This was this fucking hilarious. <laughs> and I think. Man, I what a different episode viral, of Bungo Podcast, huh? This Hell shit, yeah. Bro. God, I hope this shit goes viral. I hope viral. it goes viral, dude. That was some Kanye moment with fucking sweat. Iberia Foods, you can. Uh, <laughs> we'll endorse your mariquitas. You ain't got here. the answers, Nick. You ain't got the fucking answers. I, I guess, loved it, dog. I guess we'll wrap it up. Nick, yeah, do your yeah, yeah. wrapping up things. All right, real, real quick, real quick. We, we'll skip the recommendations. <laughs> I'm sorry to all the people who expected these things. But, Robbie, tell people shameless plugs where they can uh, find you and all your shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Heels on stars, right? <laughs> at, at heels on stars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Stars with a Z. Um, no, heels stars heels on Instagram. Stars. Okay, okay. The Robbie Ramos on Instagram, Twitter, the whole nine. And then dropping character uh, with Robbie That's your Ramos. podcast. That's your podcast. That's my fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dog. I love it. Yeah, yeah, that's my podcast. You can listen that's to that cool. Shit. I'm sure it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you got any shameless plugs? <laughs> you want to tell the people where they can find yeah. you on <laughs> So, just so everyone is aware, Chugs is open seven days a week. <laughs> That's really all I got. That's great. Navi has a new fall menu. <laughs> That's all I really got. This is the best part of the podcast. Uh, Patreon.com slash DadeMag if you want to <laughs> mug every three months. DadeMag.com slash Podcast. We're Pankum Podcast on all the social media things. You want to advertise with us? Uh, info at datemag.com. Thank you so much, Robbie, for being a guys, spectator. <laughs> Hell yeah, this in is the last 20 awesome minutes or God knows how long of this thing. That's it. Has That's it been podcast. only 20 minutes? There's no know. way I'm it's been 20 minutes. Uh, it feels like a fucking lifetime. God damn it.